Hello everybody and welcome to episode 49 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, joined as I am each and every week by the platforming prodigy. He's got his arms up in the air, Tiesto style. He's ready to drop some sick bass. It's Mark Robinson. Guten Tag. It's the, the Tiesto pose is completely at odds with the lumberjack hat you've got on. <laughs> There's a clash. It's a strong look. There is a clash of styles going on. The people at work, actually, I'm surprised. Or maybe it's because um, I got the hat before I started at this new place. But you know they when... They know the hat as well as you. Yeah, you know when you change something about you and people around you like really make an observation about it. Yeah. Like when we were calling you a lumberjack all the live long day when you came back with the hat. Exactly. But because I've come into this new place of work with the hat as part of me, it's just part of who I am. Like, do you wear the the flannel shirt with it all the time? Not always, no. Okay, yeah, because that that that's what made us do it a lot is because it which was, is fair. It, it, it's a real strong statement combining the two together. Yeah, it's um, it's a very kind of northwest of America kind of look. Yeah, it's very you're going out axe over shoulder to take down a redwood. Which, if we know anything about me, is about as far removed as a <laughs> statement. So. You might play lumberjack simulator. Sure, I'd like do that. that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that was called uh, Stephen for like two years of my life, yeah, so. Yeah. Shout out to Big Steve. Um, how's your week been? Uh, not really much to it, to be honest. Not to it. I was away this weekend. Uh, I did you were have pining to... for me. Apart from pining for me. No, I had to... Uh, right, I was okay. around the, the girlfriends at the weekend, and uh, there was a, a mass for her late grandfather, like the anniversary. So, had to... This is your first Catholic anniversary mass. I believe so, yes. Uh. So, I was invited to come along to the actual mass itself, and I politely declined. Uh... Yeah, um, but then also she did as well. But I had to contend with her family in in the morning and the afternoon, and yeah. like they were very nice. But like that part of Ireland, everyone and actually there's quite a lot of Ireland in general. This would everyone, be the the Midlands of Ireland. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. we're for those of you because I know we have listeners from the US, so we're on the east coast of Ireland where we are now, uh, kind of the closest side of Ireland to England. Mm-hmm. Um. And kind of, like with a lot of countries, a lot of what you might describe as civilization is on the, the coastal areas. Sure. Because that's where all the big towns grow up is yeah. when they were... Because sh- where the ports are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the further you go inland, like in the US with the Midwest, things become a bit more folksy and a mm-hmm. bit more agricultural. Uh, and that's... Where the closest major town? Would you be closest to Athlone out there? Or uh, Mullingar? Mullingar. Mullingar, yeah. I gotta say, actually, thinking about that, the the one exception to that in England is Norwich, which is kind of like near the the coast, but it's completely as backwards as you can get. Oh, uh, well, Stephen Fry though is from there, so this is true. Know. So and Delia Smith, this is true. So they're doing well. Well, there are some really. exceptions. And Elton but... John, is he from there? Is Elton John a big Norwich fan? Oh uh, no, I thought it was Watford, wasn't it? Oh, it might be Watford. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Watford. Watford. But Stephen Fry and Delia Smith definitely. Yeah, it's be- let's be having you. <laughs> it's also because there's only one way to get to Norwich. There's like one road essentially. It's yeah, like yeah. I'm off the beaten path. Anyway, um, but the thing is, with a lot of Irish people, is you fucking can talk some. Uh huh. And that's not my greatest strength, which is great irony, considering I'm part of the podcast. Yeah. But I'm well, more of a like. If, if we go to the um the Independence Festival next summer, which I bought my ticket to because Mannix. <laughs> um, sure. If we go to that, we'll we'll bring you by uh, the Blarney Stone on Redown and Cork. Uh-huh. Okay. That's that's what's said to give you the gift of the gal. Okay, well, that's what I need. And the thing is, 
like talking to Irish people genuinely tires me out because I can't fucking keep up with you. We speak very quickly as well when we're not when we're not consciously aware of it. Like, you, well, you speak quickly, but you're also speaking a lot. Like, there's a lot going uh-huh, on there, uh-huh. you know. Um, <laughs> we pack those sentences. Yeah, out and like I'm, I'm fine with you now because I feel that you kind of like work to my level, and I kind of slightly raise myself when I need to with your level, and that works. That's grand. Mm. But when there's about ten people that I've never met before who are yeah. like, oh, so tell me about yourself, and like with me, I'm like, oh, I don't fucking know oh. what to say. Yeah. Also, me being someone who's very quiet around new people or groups of new people specifically, which um, is exactly, I right. can relate to that. So I'm kind of like, I'm cool if you don't want to talk in a conversation or if you don't feel comfortable talking. I'm cool to fill that empty space. Well, that's what Jack was there for for all these years. Yeah, yeah, You've yeah. Basically, I mean, we've well, said it a number of times. Well, times the three of us have hung out. You've hardly got a fucking word in. Well, yeah, because you two are just uh, off on your own little adventure, and I'm more yeah. than happy to kind of leave you to it. But yeah, that, that was fine. They're all very nice. Um, and yeah, just, just your, your thoughts on mass. I don't really have any because yeah. it was just they came round and they went. Yeah, was, yeah. Because I have yeah. to do that dance a couple of times a year. Like I'm not a religious guy at all. Like no. I don't. I'm not um, like a militant atheist who uh, like objects to the concept of anyone having religion. If your religion works well for you fucking great yeah you know sure. that's how i always feel but me uh at this particular juncture in my life i'm like eh, eh. I feel <laughs> that, that's, that's the best way i can sum it up that's the most eloquent i can go it's like eh. that's kind of like the baseline thing for our generation really yeah apathy. you know yeah it's just like ah sure whatever yeah, yeah. You know? previous incarnation uh previous podcast i did our tagline was that we were the voice of the apathetic yeah. excellent because <laughs> that's our age group was but that yeah. was that post pipe bomb promo? No, no, Pre? really, Pre. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always had a fucking nerdy vocabulary. Fair. Um, yeah, I, I do that the, the anniversary mass thing with with family. Sure. Um, a couple of times a year, and it's it's like it's just a it's a weird thing that the Catholics do where let's gather every year and have mass and go. Remember that person? Yeah, like... That person died today, years we, ago. All we really have back home is... Let's say some prayers. All, all we'd have is just, the, like, close relatives would go to the tombstone of the person, lay some flowers yeah. down. Well, that would be my it. that would be my preference as well, because it stops... You know, as well, because I have to aniv- I have to organise some of these masses, like, for my, my parents. Yeah. Like, so when their anniversary masses come around, not because I necessarily want to, I don't not want to either, but it's more that because... It, it, the responsibility is on me and people in the family want to do the mass so sure. I have to organise it and it is tough it is a logistical nightmare when most people in the family are of an age where they're full time working and mm-hmm. have families as well to find out oh well what day can we go yeah and the you thing you know it, I would prefer if we could do the loose range of going well look if you want to go to mass go to mass but if you want to go and like go to the like lay down flowers yeah. or whatever you know however, whatever way you want to like the whole thing to me the, th- the theory behind it is commemoration remembrance mm-hmm. um, and once you're doing that I'm not really bothered where you are you could be in McDonald's remembering <laughs> And, you know, having having pause to think and stuff like that. There's still a cheeseburger in it, so... Yeah, because yeah. yeah, the thing with me, like, I I get it. Once you're an, as many years removed as you need to be for it to not be a kind of painful experience anymore, no. there's still the whole, like, ha- the, the grief of having to get this all organised for the purpose of... Yeah, and it's, it's every single, literally every single year, I'm always putting one person out because it's like... 
it is just slightly easier than nuclear physics to organize a day that suits everybody. (laughs) And more often than not, you're going to have to leave one person out. Like one person's plans just isn't going to suit no matter which weekend it is. Mm. Um, Yeah, it's just like some of this. You never think that these logistical nightmares are going to be part of your daily life when you grow up. but uh, here we are. You, they really don't tell you the facts of life when you're a child, do they? They really don't. No. <laughs> it's like, look, two plus two equals four. Off you go. Like last week, one of the things I never heard the phrase until I moved out into this house was house insurance, uh, and I went and paid that last week, and the receipt nearly made my fucking eyes bleed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that's I haven't really been up to anything um, this week myself. I um, uh, we're all kind of gearing up towards Christmas now. Yeah, the missus was back for the weekend, so I spent a lot of that with her. I did find something really really weird and it kind of relates into something we were uh, playing this week so I'll kind of use this to dovetail uh, into that and that is uh, there's in Dundrum Shopping Centre so it's a big shopping centre in the, the kind of hinterland of Dublin and uh, it's well, 10 years no but that's Newbridge well, how old's Dundrum? Uh, 8 years maybe Okay, 8 years it was after Whitewater um, which is 10 years old right, this year yeah. So Dundrum Town Centre is kind of like this higher end of shopping centres. It's not your average everyday knuckle dragon shopper, shopping centre that has the, the shops that are just in every shopping centre. No, it's you kind go of, there if you intend to spend some money. Yeah, you intend to spend some money or you're looking for something nice for someone sure. for Christmas. I think the... Uh, or a Five Guys burger. Which or is five a nice guys. Food. Yeah, it's got Five Guys, but like the food court, right? So the food court in most shopping centres, this will give you a bar. So most average shopping centres, you're talking KFC, Burger King, uh, maybe McDonald's or something like that. The food court or the food pavilion, I think it's called. This has in, a Yo Sushi. Yeah, that's, that's in the shopping center but you've and that's got, on the low end there's a, a lobster place there's a um there's a jamie oliver place there's a five guys and it was where the, i think the first nando's that was here in ireland was really yeah it was either there or bolton street in dublin i can't remember which one was first um the more you know but it's yeah it's kind of on the upper end of things like it's where i don't know if we ever mentioned on the podcast it's where we we often took the piss out of brian because brian went there once and spent nearly 100 euro on just one tie and one pocket square <laughs> uh, but uh yeah that's that's the kind Good of investment that's the kind of level you're pitching at but uh there used to be a big hmv in there before hmv closed down in Ireland oh, yeah, for the sure. second time and what moved in there there was nothing in there for a few months and now all of a sudden there's uh golden discs in there and in the section at the back because it's kind of it's it what it clearly is it was two shopping units where then the wall was knocked through uh so that it could be a big hmv um, now when you go into maybe the, the back unit what you might describe of uh, it as in the, the golden discs there is uh, the, the video game section and that's where the video game section used to be in HMV but instead there is just old games and not like super old but it's PS3, Xbox 360 and PS2 games and the thing that stunned me most of all is that they were new PS2 games not new as in they were released in 2016 but new as in they were released years and years ago and are still in the plastic now and being sold in this golden discs. Um, the deal that was on was five for a tenner, and it was just I hadn't, I didn't have uh, too long to peruse there, but uh, there was a lot of the kind of annualized sports games in there. Obviously, there's always going to be that with kind of older console stuff. That's the stuff that isn't going to shift once the the year has passed. Uh, but there were some gems in there. We're going to talk about uh, one of them now in particular. Yeah, I don't know if you could call it a gem or not. But uh, yeah, um, playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2. 
Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Oh, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. So, uh, Mark, you played a little game on the PS2. Uh, and that game was TNA, Total Nonstop Action Wrestling Impact. Uh, a game that was, it was a PS3 game that was ported back to the PS2. Um, I, and I, I told you about this. I picked this game up specifically for you to play it. Because I made a vow to myself that I would never play this game as long as I live again. Um, but I would be more than happy to watch you play it. Um... And what I remembered from it... I just want to point out, there is a Wii version of this game. Uh, I, I pointed out the three statements that are still very accurate, I think. The first... These are all three statements about this particular game. The first is that the PS3 version of this game looked astonishingly good for the time. And I would imagine if we'd gotten a hold of the PS3 version of the game, it would still look pretty okay today. Sure, yeah. It was really, like, it was much better looking than the WWE games of the, at the time. That I cannot take away from it. Then the other two observations are, one, the control scheme, if you could call it that. I would scheme go, I would implies scheme. thought and yeah. plotting and planning. Just unadulterated The control chaos. arrangement for this game uh, was somewhat shite. And the final observation being that the story mode was a wacky soap opera nightmare. <clears throat> now, Mark, I want you to take me through the things you observed about this game. Now, the first one of the the first thing I noticed before I hand over to you was that I'm almost certain the roster was extremely stripped back for this PS2 version. Probably, yeah. Uh, but go on, I'm going to try and look sure. into. So the first thing. That I thought about was the fact that I'm surprised that I didn't actually play this game back in the day because this was 2008 that this was released, yeah. and I was still pretty much year on year playing wrestling games. Mm -hmm. I was certainly buying the the SmackDown series, which would have been SmackDown versus Raw at this point, I imagine, or Raw versus SmackDown. Um, and I probably would have been interested in the TNA game at the same time. This was around about the time that TNA was starting to um, capitulate, self-destruct, however you would like to One describe One of the times, that. like it, some describe Russo it as they, start, they started off on fire and no one ever put it out. Yeah. So I think a combination of um, maybe a waning interest in the wrestling games as they were starting to, as I was realizing, they're never going to top no mercy. And TNA just becoming more, you know, TNA as it is now. Um, I completely passed this game by. Also, on top of that as well, I remember reading the reviews, and they were not that good. But I did see the pictures, and they did look very pretty. So I didn't even realise there was a PS2 version as well. Mm -hmm. um, the first things to point or to note about this game, from what we played, experienced, I'll go with that, yeah. last night. Please do. Um... Yeah, as you said, the story mode is... <laughs> well, a, there is a story. Uh, isn't there, though? So there's there's too much story, so if anything. So you play as Suicide. Now, for anyone who doesn't know, here's what happened. TNA created, or Midway created this game in uh, cohesion or in part with TNA. And they created a character called Suicide. Now, out of that, TNA decided to actually have a real-life wrestler called Suicide, who was played first by, I think it was Chris Daniels, yeah, then, or was it Kazarian? 
Oh, it was Kaz. It was Kaz and then TJP. No, no, there was Daniels and Kaz, I think, both at points with them. Um, and then TJP. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. Basically, there was uh, a fictional video game character, then they made a real-life character out of it. Um, and so this game starts with this kind of no- knock-off Nolan North impersonator talking about how uh, Suicide took on the TNA roster and became the champion. Uh, but he was also, he was told before the match... We're missing two people who played Suicide, by the way, as well, just for the sake of completionist. Okay. Uh, we had Kiyoshi uh, played him before TJ Perkins, and also Austin Aries did it once off. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, in 2013. <laughs> I, I'm thinking that might have been like a gimmick thing. He might have taken the mask off, I feel, maybe. I feel like that's what he, happened. Well, he won the... Uh, he won the X Division title. Austin Aries won the X Division title as sure. <laughs> Suicide. Anyway, anyway, uh, before the match, um, the team of the LAX Homicide and Hernandez uh, ask you to f- throw the match essentially, Rocky mm-hmm. style. Wait, was that Rocky that did that? Tried to throw a match. It's basically the oldest uh, boxing trope ever. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, the dirty boxer throws the match, goes down in the fifth. Am I thinking of Rocky? Like what am I thinking of? Spider, Spider-Man? No. Pulp Fiction? Pulp Fiction? What yeah, Bruce Willis of? in Pulp Fiction. I'm think, I'm, there's a superhero film I'm thinking of, but it's not coming to me. Anyway. Daredevil? Is it, there? it is Daredevil. There's yeah, the, yeah. That's what I'm thinking of, Daredevil. Yeah. Um, and so you, you don't throw the match, you win the match, and you come out and LAX um, beat the tar out of you. Yeah. And you wake up in a Mexican hospital. I don't know how. Somehow you, you end up to Tijuana. Somehow from, you end up from the impact zone. Well, I mean, Orlando, Mexico, they're not that far apart. Well, no, yeah. Uh, yeah, you end up in uh, Tijuana, Mexico. And basically, uh, you. So, Suicide's character has like a full body outfit. You can't see his face. And you're in this hospital bed and your face is bandaged up. And these two people, one apparently is a plastic surgeon, this other person. It all looks a bit like the one video by Metallica. I don't yeah. even know what's going on. And then you end up actually into a match. And it's a gauntlet match in um, a six-sided ring in somewhere in Mexico. Uh, undisclosed location. Uh, you know, just something out of natural Libre. Just, just, just some village. Yeah. Uh, which is an arena, arena, quote unquote, that you can unlock as well. Now, the controls. Huh? Do you know who uh, Suicide was voiced by in the game? Who? Mister Low Key. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sure. Yeah, because he. I mean, he does have a pretty distinct voice. Huh. Um. Okay. This game. Now, again, we're going just by the PS2 version. I don't know how the PS3 version handles. But the game feels like it is either constantly has been submerged underwater or midway created a slow motion mechanic for whatever perverse desire and then never actually turned it off when they released the game. <laughs> it, they lost the switch. Um, I put a gif up earlier, earlier today to best describe it. You can do a pump kick and the physics are so broken that when, uh, if you've ever seen Dave Chappelle stories where Charlie Murphy kicks Dave Chappelle dressed as Rick James and he goes flying backwards into the mirror, it's essentially that. You can do that. And that is quite funny. But the clipping is horrendous. The ropes have no desire, no need to be there. Yeah. You just you, you go you, through You fall them. through them and then when you're on the ground and moving, that's when the ropes start reacting. Yeah. 
Um, I did my finishing move and was basically halfway through the wall on the outside. Yeah. I fell through the ring and was stuck. <laughs> you got stuck in some sort of hell dimension for a while where you couldn't move outside. I... You were in between invisible walls somehow also inside yeah, the ring. Yeah, so I had to kind of unclip myself out of that by just... With move. immense difficulty. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the actual control scheme or the grapple scheme. Oh. Now, I played about seven matches, and by the end of that seventh match, seventh match, I still wasn't entirely sure if a button I pressed was going to do the thing that I thought it actually was meant to do. Like, I felt like the input, the, the map control on, on the, the buttons was kind of changing, like a, a password combination that constantly changes so you can't get in. Like, I'd press triangle, and then sometimes he'd whip the guy to the ropes, and sometimes he would do a move. But there was no kind of understanding or, I don't know, if, there was no cohesiveness to any of it um and so it's all just terrible you know it's just it's a really bad game yeah uh, I, it was enjoyable for about the 10 minutes or so where i was having a whale of a time sure like the whole kind of slow motion physics to it that was enjoyable uh but the randomly appearing chairs yep chairs just popping out of nowhere and to be fair this is kind of like tna in general where are there oh, disqualifications <laughs> no are there not there certainly were not in that game um, at one point, it seemed like we were taking on a pair of juggalos. Yeah. Um, what they've done Colors is... Benny and Lenny. Benny and Lenny. So, it seems like... <laughs> they, was it, they were called the... Uh, oh, fuck. The Super Clowns? So, yes, yeah, Super Clowns. Super Clowns. Clowns with a K. What it looks like, if you ever played WWF Attitude back in the day, yeah. it looks like they just tapped the random button and went, yep, that will do. Yeah. And these are unlockable characters. Yeah, yeah. That's what really got my goat. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, I have the privilege of playing as Lenny and Benny, you say. So, or as uh, Suplex Saliza. So it's it's a terrible game. Yeah. Um, I, do, you, do you know where the storyline goes after that? No. So like we, we ended you? up in a uh, an aircraft carrier base. Yeah, no, just an army base. Yeah. It's called the Armory. Sure. Uh, and you, you beat three people in a row, and then James Storm just ambles into the clearing and which is the kind of place he'd probably have been working challenges that you that you can All go and get now. a trial in uh tna and the impact zone yeah so we got him. to the impact zone and there was kevin nash yeah just which hanging out for. just that hanging out and you with a bunch of absolute randomized jobbers the x division um right so <clears throat> i'll read you the rest of the storyline from wikipedia here. Right, just okay. just to put a nice bow on this sure. <clears throat> kevin nash recruits suicide for the tna roster after conquering the X Division and Tag Team Division, the latter of which with Eric Young as his partner to form the tag team known collectively as Salty Biscuits, LAX kidnaps Young and orders Suicide to go and win the TNA World Heavyweight Championship from Kurt Angle and then drop the title to Jarrett. This is a, this was written by Russo. After regaining the World Heavyweight Championship, Suicide remembers his past and finds out it was Jarrett who called the hit on him. After Nash and Samoa Joe are able to save Young from LAX, Suicide gains revenge on Jarrett by defeating him in the match for the World Heavyweight Championship. Definitely. 100%. This was def- Do you know what this was? Someone found a script for an, uh, an a never-filmed sequel to Ready to Rumble. I, and yeah. they went, let's make this into a game. Yeah, okay. I'll go for that. Uh, um, yeah, that was utter... Piss. Two euros well spent, Dave. Yeah, I'll tell you, for two euro, I've done well there. The, the, other, th- the other thing that I've played this week. So, a while ago, you introduced me to a game called Hatterful Boyfriend. <laughs> the pigeon dating simulator. Yeah. 
I think I might have topped that. Yeah. Uh, this was brought to my attention from Kotaku. Thank you very much. Uh, so, <laughs> or not. Or not. the case, maybe. Yeah, this is a, a, a free-to-play game you can get download from Android or iOS called My Horse Prince. And in it, uh, you're a young woman who decides that she's not going <clears> to <throat> find her true love uh, working in the office that she works with. So she goes to the local ranch to try and find some, you know, kind of hot young farmers. And what she ends up finding is a horse that has the face of a, uh, you know, like a kind of really strikingly good-looking anime man. Yeah. Yeah, just with the head of one of them. Basically one of the Final Fantasy fifteen characters. <laughs> and it, what what happens, or it turns out, is that she is the year of the horse. And so because of that, she sees horses with the heads of beautiful men. And you become that horse's owner. Right. And then a, a series of wacky things occur. Um, the the only mini games that I actually, or the only kind of gameplay that I was introduced to, is a bit where you chat with the horse and he asks you a bunch of questions about how did you get there? Do you like carrots? And if you answer correctly, his uh, kind of stamina bar goes up, and then you make him eat a bunch of carrots. And then the next time, these treadmills appear, and he has to run on the treadmills, and then the treadmills explode. Of course they do. That's my horse, my, my my prince horse. I I don't really know what more there is to say about it. It's free to play. Kill half an what hour. More, what more do you need to say, really? Yeah. Um, I'm glad these kinds of games exist. That's all I will say. Yeah. Probably not going to be in my game of the year list. Really? But Ugh. I feel it at least deserves a special mention. Daylight so, robbery. Yeah. Um, I've been playing a bit more of FIFA's journey mode this week. Yeah, so we hadn't spoken about this for a while. Yeah, I kind of... <clears throat> we played it a little bit, and I was very interested in it. And then I kind of cooled off on it because... Not because of anything that happened in the game, but when I found out that it's kind of, from what I can tell, only a one-season-long story... And I was hoping it'd be a, not a huge sprawling fucking thing, but that I would. He wasn't expecting the Witcher out of it. Yeah, yeah, because well, but, what, but I was hoping it was because I started the journey mode at Everton, right? Because I was like, okay, realistically, teenager starting off at a club that likes this is me getting into the fucking mindset of this, right? Um, Everton is a good, you know, it sounds like a club that someone of that age would come through at and you know get a bit of stardom out of it. And I was like, Wayne oh, Rooney, I'll, cetera, I'll get my transfer to United at some stage during the journey mode. That's not the way it works. And I was like, oh, fuck, I want to play for United. Uh, so I stopped playing it for a while. And then a couple of nights ago, I couldn't sleep. So I just started it over again um, at United. And um, yeah, it's it, it's really, really good. It um, It's cool because um, it, it it's very difficult at the start. And it, it, it kind of falls that into the narrative that... You as good as you can perform because I was scoring a goal every game or so for the first while when I was coming on as a sub at United. But what happens is the transfer window is coming to an end and the manager panic buys no matter what club you're at. This is a fixed point. No matter what club you're at, the club panic buys a striker and that striker is Harry Kane. So obviously Harry Kane is an established Premier League forward. And you're kind of, because you're a 17-year-old, you're out of the picture. And you try for a couple of games to get back in. But what they basically say to you then is, look, you're not going to get your chance here for now. Like, go out on loan. We like your mate. You know that I showed you the the, the mate, Gareth mm-hmm. yep. Edwards, or yep. whatever. I think that's his name, or something like that. Um, he starts with you. Um, 
and he stays at the club because he kind of plays uh, not quite as a centre forward as a winger if you were centre forward so he hasn't been replaced and he starts doing quite well a little bit better than you so you go off on loan I when I did this I hadn't gotten this far the first time round. so at United I took my loan out to Newcastle down in the championship because it won't let you go to a Premier League club it says you need to drop a division to get start mm-hmm. and you come back uh, no matter what club you land at you landed the club that your rival from when you were doing the tryouts for your team, you land with him. And an interesting dynamic develops. We actually realize he's not that bad a guy at all. And you start to get a bit of friendship for him. Meanwhile, there's kind of, at the same time, back at your old club, you're seeing in different cutscenes, the success, the early successes are getting to your man Garrett's head uh, and he's becoming a bit of an arse about it. One of those stories. So you're playing well and provided you do consistently play well at your club down in the championship, which because your attributes are going up because you're doing your training drills every week uh, and if you're putting in the hard graft actually on the pitch and doing what the manager's telling you you're it's becoming easier and you're scoring goals all that sort of good stuff or depending on where you are on the pitch you might be like you know not conceding goals or well, you know whatever um, in January they tell you that your club wants you back so that's where I'm at now I've come back to United and coincidentally they've decided they don't like your man's attitude and he's not really up to the level he thinks he's at so your man throws a massive strop that you're getting called back into the team and that they're kind of cooling on him throws in a transfer request and immediately goes to your most hated rival who in this case is Liverpool and there's a nice little narrative from the commentators in the first match you play after that where they go like they, they mention that you know the heated rivalry between and they specifically mentioned Manchester United and Liverpool they hate each other this was the last time a transfer took place directly between the clubs and now he's gone here for this kind of money blah 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 so it's setting up a narrative where you're coming back and uh, you and your arch rival club are going to be going head to head for the title and kind of he's the spearhead of their attack you're the spearhead of of theirs it's um it's much deeper than i thought it would be when like we saw e3 and saw this thing was coming out it's not as deep as i would like it to be in an ideal world but it's it's really fat like for a first time go at doing something that's more akin to like a 2k career mode uh from like the the nba games it's a really good fist at it. Look, they've, they've, they've done a really smashing job. They've attempted to infuse some soap opera into the world of football. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it hasn't gone full dream team into like, yeah. campy, you know. And that's a good thing. Um, now, you've said that there are those fixed points there. But, like, outside of that, um, from what you did up until the point you finished the, the first time you was playing the journey mm-hmm. mode and what you've been doing this time, uh, are there any differences in the story or the flow of things that happen do things change based on how well you're playing so if you go on a consistently run a uh, consistent run of bad form you'll get like a cutscene that says after the first couple of bad games you know a senior player in the squad will come up and be like oh you know you know pat you on the back and like yeah you get past it and stuff like that um you also but the, the more this continues the less upper so if you go to newcastle because it, when you're, uh, I'll take it right back actually, uh, when you're at the start and you're at that training day, so there are fail states in this game. It's not like you're going to hit these fixed points no matter what you're doing in the actual individual games. If you don't achieve really well in the the, the, the FA camp at the very start, you won't get selected for a club and it's game over then and there and you have to start <laughs> over again. Fair enough. So th- presumably, the game doesn't overtly tell you this, but presumably if I didn't do well out at Newcastle, I'd be staying there. Sure. You know? Um, and that might be the end or I might kind of there might be a B story where I go on and win the championship at Newcastle and that's the end of it then I don't know 
Um, but the other thing that kind of changes dynamics and relationships in it is the kind of the branching dialogue where you can go between either cool, fiery or balanced. Your responses to interviews or your responses to uh, being talked to by a member of the club staff or another player. It's not exactly Bioware, but it does the job. No, yeah, because so uh, cool... Now again, there's an idea. A cool response will... uh, It won't make you enamoured to new fans. They won't be like, ooh, this is a cool guy. Uh, But your manager would be more inclined to pick you. If you do a fiery response, your manager will be less inclined to pick you, especially if you're not already an established team member. But you will accrue fans at a greater rate, and you can get up there. Uh, there are benchmarks for sponsorships and things like that to okay. earn more money, uh, and presumably there. Uh, well, I don't of... like dickheads, so I'd probably yeah. go for the manager. But then there's option. then there's balanced, and balanced will depend on where you're at on that bar between fiery and cool. So sometimes there'd be a balanced answer that will actually increase your followers and increase your standing with the manager. Sometimes it will just do one or the other. But generally, that's the best one if you don't know which and you don't want a negative response. Balanced is the way to go. Um, so Does this those... whole thing take place over the span of 38 games, by the way? or uh, I haven't been counting to see if it's exactly that. And jumping into the championship where there are just more games... Yeah. It's tough to say. I know um, it was before I moved to Newcastle, it was advancing at the right rate. Um, And there have been occasions where I think for the sake of skipping on to the next important thing that happens, uh, there's a little cutscene that plays saying, oh, you've been dropped for this match because we need to rest you. Right. And you sim the match. Okay. Uh, So I was dropped for an FA Cup game. They told me, oh, we need to play more experienced players. So we're benching you here. Sure. Um, But yeah, really good. Really good. I'm hoping to finish that soon because... um, I might want to talk about it for something in Game of the Year. I don't know, um, but I definitely want to keep going. The other thing I played, I only played a little bit today, I played about an hour or two hours of it, was um, The Last Guardian. Oh, that thing. A game I never thought I would actually play. That's a thing that exists now. Yeah, so... Last Guardian, for those of you who have been living in deepest recesses of space for the last nine years, is the third game from Studio Japan's Team Eco, who are responsible for Ico and for Shadow, uh, Shadow of the Colossus. Colossus, which is pretty much it. I described it to Brian because Brian had never heard of either of these games. Oh, really? Um, oh, basically, they didn't have a console at this point. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. I, I said it's a real gamer's game, Shadow of the Colossus. It's a, it's a cult classic. Um, it's very uh, if if uh, there was a Dandy Warhol game, yeah, yeah, it's very much yeah, it's a very hipstery yeah. kind of game. Um, but it's great. It's sure. a really really good game. My this first game... question for you actually mm-hmm. is: it a puzzle game or is it an adventure game? Well, this is I, I, will, okay. I will I will get to this in the course of proceedings. So this game has been in development for nine fucking years. This Johnny game has. was supposed to come out towards the end of the PS2, start of the PS3, and has uh, gone on what can only be described as an unacceptable period of time during which we've heard all sorts of horror things. Fumito Ueda, who was uh, who was the head of this game. Uh, left Sony, then got contracted back in to finish this game. But in between those times, uh, we've heard rumblings for a long time. I don't know how closely you were following this, Mark, that pretty much every studio within Sony's network of studios, and there are a lot of them, pretty much all of them have had some hand, that's the rumor, I haven't got the end credits on this game, so I don't know for sure, have had some hand in trying to fix or change or add something, just to try and get this 
fucking game out the door. This game has become the lady of the lake of video games. Yeah, it was just constantly getting delayed. Like, it was getting into Half-Life 3 Duke Nukem Forever territory, just becoming this game, or Beyond Good and Evil 2, of this game people talk about forever, but we may never see the I, I was going to say, slight difference, because at least we knew that Last Guardian was technically a thing, where Half-Life 3 is coming now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so... I sat down to play this game. I, I traded in a bunch of games last week and got a surprising amount of credit for them. So I picked up Last Guardian um, because I like the, the Team Eco games and I couldn't not play it, you know. Um, it's like Chinese democracy. You need to at least have a yeah, listen. I've been reading and thinking about this game for so long and I have enjoyed previous games by the, the studio that I kind of felt that I needed to get to it at some stage. So here I am playing it. Um, okay, so some early thoughts. And again, this is just the first couple of hours. I have no idea how much things expand, change, anything like that after this. These are just early raw impressions that I haven't really had that much time to meditate on. So bear with me. It certainly... It certainly looks like a game that was being developed... For quite a while by which i mean it is not the most 2016 looking game you will ever see right it it's not the most visually impressive thing you'll ever see now i have been told since i played that that i need to go into my options and change the setting because my ps4 can handle the 1080p 30 frames per second mode oh which is the thing that uh standard ps4s cannot do which grinds the game to a halt uh well it can't do it can't do 1080p it can do 720 at 30 frames but okay. it can't do 1080 at 30 mm -hmm. frames so i and from what i can tell if you try to go to 1080 on a standard ps4 the frame rate starts to drop considerably yeah i i've seen footage of the game yeah. going down to like 10 frames now just and apparently no matter what setting you put it on, on the ps4 pro it performs fine now, I would expect that because I spent the money on the PS4. I would expect games to fucking run on it because that's the point. It's supposed to be a superior machine. Um, but even though it's not the most visually stunning game I've ever seen, uh, it has its own, very much like the other games by Team Eco, it has a really nice style. It to has it. a Team Eco visual style. And you you like, can tell I, it's a Team Eco the, game. The, yeah, the word whimsical, like we kind of throw around jokingly uh, for some games, like Unravel and things like that. Nothing will match Unravel just, for whimsy. It's just whimsy out the ass. But yeah. that's like, that's whimsy because they don't really have anything else that's they need to throw whimsy at you to distract you from the fact that it's very basic what's going on here um the, the whimsy in in team eco games is kind of different it's just this kind of weird kind of fairy tale universe that's like it's kind of like if you put uh like a studio ghibli film in sepia tone mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's got that very very noticeably and recognisable Japanese style uh, of animation, but in a kind of... It, it's also... It, even though it's fantastical and wonderful like that, it's also very grim, the, the, the kind of... the, the palette uh, at certain points. The, the thing with uh, studio uh, Ghibli films, for the most part, is you're usually seeing the film through the eyes of a child yeah. or of, of, like, a young person. Um and that's kind of the thing that you get with Eco and Shadow Colossus is like they're young people 
being put into these kind of dire or epic situations. It's mm. the the sort of Legend of Zelda essentially as well. Yeah. And so what I've seen in the Last Guardian, you have this young boy and this kind of situation that he is in. Mm. Um, and yeah, the Studio Ghibli is a very good. Uh, kind of way of classifying the feel of this game mm. but like in terms of how it plays yeah. like so, what are you doing right so you wake up you regain consciousness inside in this weird kind of chamber that's like inside the side of a hill or something like that um no idea how you got there there's cool uh what i find is cool and it's very anime is it's the there is oh, and something i didn't know and maybe it's something i missed uh in pre-release in any of the publicity, but there is narration over cutscenes okay. and over gameplay um, every so often when you're doing something. And it's an older version of you. So it's a kind of middle-aged sounding Japanese man. And the thing is subtitled, obviously, because uh, I don't know if fucking breeze what's going on. And he's kind of very kind of recounting. He's like, I have no idea how I ended up here. And you wake up and based on, you've seen what the child looks like, yeah, you know, the tattoos yeah. and things like that, or the markings, whatever sure. they are. Um, he looks, and obviously they weren't there beforehand because he's kind of looking at what the fuck. And then uh, Trigo is there and he's chained to the floor. And he kind of, anytime you walk up to him, he'll kind of headbutt you and knock you away. Um, and what it is is that he's hungry and he's hurt, so he has a couple of spears in him. He's chained, so you and he need, he eats these things that are like the the best way I can describe them. The best way myself and Brian were able to describe them when we did the the playthrough was they are basically barrels full of butterflies, right? Um, oh, very Japanese. So that's how you feed him. So the first way to calm him down is they're like they're not even puzzles; they're just up on ledges to teach you how to climb and how to use switches and things like that. Um, and you free him and then you walk into the next chamber uh in the next chamber uh you learn that you can use him to traverse the 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 game world so there's a ledge he kind of looks at and you're able to grab onto his tail climb up and over and across him and get onto a ledge climb through a tunnel and there you find a, a mirror shield and the mirror shield you point it at something it it shimmers a bit of green light on the wall and lightning erupts from Trico's tail at the target. So it destroys kind of wooden barriers and things like that. So I'm still kind of... I assume there are, I assume there are more mechanics to come in. Uh, again, very early in the game so far. Um, how it plays... So it is a puzzle platformer. It's, it, it's exactly what you would have thought if you watched any of the... Uh, quick looks or anything like that is a puzzle platformer uh, in which you use yourself and Trico and your assembled kit and uh, skills and wiles to try and traverse across this this world. Um, like, is Trico essentially just one big puzzle mechanic that you can use? Like, sort of, but he also, um, from what I, I have seen of other people playing it, will help you later on because there are there is some level of, of enemy combat that takes place in this game and he he does assist you with that um but what it is is it's kind of like i can tell that the theme of it all is kind of just you and your friend making this bond and helping each other out and kind of just um like partnership and friendship and things like that so there are times where you're stuck and he helps you there are times when he's stuck and you help him or you encourage him and things like that 
Um, it's interesting, the way he controls, and I've seen uh, between a couple of E3s worth of previews and uh, a couple of quick looks and things like that, the way he controls, um, it's funny, if you were to look at me play it, it looks like he moves very sloppily and out of control. Like it's one of those physics based games mm -hmm. where it's just madness, like almost like a goat simulator or something like that. Because much like a child, you know, you're running around and all your limbs are kind of just flying. But um, the controls, they're not that they're not like Super Mario levels of tight or Mega Man levels of tight, but they are tighter than they would appear. A lot of the kind of uh, out of control looking aspects of your motion are kind of just flourishes that are put in because it's a child. He shouldn't be expected to be this massively uh, accomplished acrobat all of a sudden. Um, being able to climb up and down Trico is interesting. Um, the, the world, like I said, is kind of... There's... It's certainly... We... I've noticed in 2016 a lot the theme of we're kind of getting back to platformers and games in general that aren't going to tell you what to do. Uh, that aren't going to make it obvious. So in like Uncharted games and a lot of other popular AAA games, the way to get to the next thing will be blindingly obvious. Um there's a there's, there's a usually thing. like a, a pointer or a marker or something yeah or there's a thing that that uh in one of the news stories we're going to talk about daniel dwyer's doom series there's a thing he talks about in part three of that series um which is about there's a theory of lights in games is that you if in doubt you know that the place to, that you need to be next is probably the most well-lit part <laughs> um which is an interesting thing i hadn't really thought of um, not so much in this game. Um, I even early on, but you can see in the stream that's going up tonight or yesterday as you're listening to this, um, that even early on, I struggled to figure out what the obvious thing is, and I, I, I can immediately see why there are people that think that's very frustrating, um, because there are people who like puzzle games, there are people who like platformers, and there are people who like puzzle platformers, but not everybody who likes a platformer is going to like that kind of platformer, you know? Um, they want it to be a bit more... Not necessarily they don't want their hand held the whole way through, but they want it to be a bit more fucking obvious. Um, I like it so far. I like the tone it's going for. Um, I don't need every game to be um, a photorealistic masterpiece graphically. Um, like, we played Pro Evo 6 yesterday on the PS2, and I had a whale of a time yeah. playing that. All, all I'll ask um, is is this... Does it feel like a PS2 game? Does it feel like a PS4 game? If, Does it feel like it's had a whole bunch of hands it, on it trying to fix this thing? It does not feel like a patchwork quilt from a bunch of different studios. Like, it doesn't feel like when you move from area to area, okay, this is a bit that, say, for example, Bend would have done, or this feels completely different, like it's in someone else's hands than the, the previous area. It all works quite well. Um, which is why I can't tell you for sure how true those claims are that a bunch of different studios helped out on it because I it doesn't feel like it. Because the thing I would be probably most curious about when playing that game is trying to figure out where the nine years went 
or if the nine years were my, technically four years yeah. and then there was a couple of years in between where yeah, just... my my suspicion is that at least three years were added to that project by the fact that they missed the the heyday of the ps3 platform yeah, sure. so they had to very much scrap it like i think if the ps4 had been another couple of years later we would have already seen that game on ps3 um uh, i know that they had thrown out the game wholesale a couple of times over i think that that that's pretty much come out by now um it's not like it it's not as baffling as uh duke nukem forever because duke nukem forever because took much longer is. and came out and was terrible yeah this came out and it's quite good i it's not as good as shadow of the colossus it is i think it's better than ico but i haven't played ico since I was about 14 years old so i don't remember for sure mm. but i think it is um it is definitely if you like team egos games or team ico whatever you want to pronounce it if you like their games you will like this game if you like puzzle platformers this is a pretty good one um it's not my game of the year i unless it takes a significant upswing um personally i don't really understand why people are getting so frustrated because i don't think the controls handle badly I don't think the puzzles are all that frustrating. Well, and I think sometimes when puzzles are frustrating, that's the point. It's a puzzle game. Do you remember when everyone was throwing up about the the Batmobile in Arkham Knights? Yeah, and it wasn't that bad. And at we all. were the two people thinking, There's nothing wrong with this, it's fine. Yeah. 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 But I think it's I think it's expectation versus reality is the True. issue. I think when people think it's a platformer, they think it's going to be certain things and when it's not bad, it doesn't fit into the box. Curse then... you, Mario. Yeah, um, like it reviewed pretty well, not amazingly well. Um, I think IGN were the real outliers. They gave it a proper middle of the road review. Most other outlets, the consensus from them was it's pretty good. You know, sure. there are individual people within those outlets who are like, "Oh, it's really good. It's really bad." Uh, you know, but do you think it's a contender for that seven out of ten? Possibly. I'd like to play a bit more of it before I I whack that down on the list. Mm. But it's very very possible. Like there, it it definitely runs uh, the gamut because I have a couple of the guys at Giant Bomb really don't like it. A couple of them like it quite a bit. Uh, Mary Kish at Gamespot thinks it's her game of the year. Um, some of the people at Video Gamer are kind of lukewarm on it. You know, it really, it really seems to be. It it depends on what what you want from the game. And whether you can detach yourself from the fact that we've waited nine years for it. I, even, if this game had been announced last year and came out this year, I think it would have reviewed better. Even without all of that, like you can look at a game like Ico or Shadow of the Colossus, and there are going to be people that will think that that is one of their games of all time, and then there will be people that just don't get it. The games that Team Ico make are like that. They're very... like. It, they work to the taste of what you like in a game and it's not going to be for everyone yeah so i don't think obviously there are some people where that whole nine years of development is going to play into it but even if it was this game had been made in two years time you'd probably still be getting quite a very degree yeah. of reviews but you, just because of what the game do you, is do you know what's interesting is that i i'd like to see what you think of it um i'd like to give you a go i'd probably game. like it yeah that's the thing i think you might because but i like one, Ico and shadow colossus so. yeah yeah one you like those games two you like uh what can be sort of put under the umbrella term of japanese crap yeah uh, sure <laughs> and you like 
kind of puzzly platformers. Yeah, it's it's up my alley. Yeah, um, so I think you would like it quite a bit. I don't think it would be your game of the year when you stretch the imagination, but I think you would like it quite a lot. Um, so I'd be interested to get your hot takes on it by the time uh, the cat stops running into walls and we uh, do game of the year. Um, so we'll leave it at that for now. Maybe I'll come back at it um, at a later date and tell you later impressions of it. But uh, I think that'll do it for now. Shall we move on to the news, young Mark? Yeah, we should. The news! News on the mark! Okay, first thing I want to talk about in the news this week, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday this week, uh, Daniel Dwyer, uh, video editor and presenter at GameSpot, uh, left earlier this year to start up his own independent organization called Noclip, who are making crowdfunded video game documentaries. The first one of those, I don't think we talked about at any great length on the show, uh, it was a two-parter on Rocket League, uh, which is pretty good. <clears throat> and um, the thing about it was that, st- that stopped me from thinking that the, um, the, the first, the, that the Rocket League one was genius is that what I want from a documentary is that I want a sizable weight of history behind the topic. You know what I mean? I think we got that. They spoke a lot about the game but what and I its mean, origins. But no, no, the game, that particular game, what I mean is it's not coming from, compared to this one, it doesn't have 20 years of, you know what I mean? Well, no, but obviously like Rocket League it, and Doom are two very yeah, different and games that's why it's, in and that's, history. Yeah, and that's why it's a, a two-part documentary is that it was considerably lighter. And yeah. not, I like to get very granular in these things and hear, you know, like a, a lot about the studio and how the studio has moved on over time. And you get a little bit of that in Rocket League. That's not a criticism by any stretch of the imagination. But no, I'm but saying, what I'm saying is I liked, what I liked about Rocket League is because I didn't even realise that that game was something before Rocket League. And they spoke very much from the oh, kind that, of... Oh, that game that was about 14 different yeah, words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they I, very much from the kind of development side of it as like yeah. how they got the feel yeah for no game, it's re- so. it's really good but like the the reason i didn't feel uh that i was putting it on as a major talking point in the show was because i thought it was a very good documentary but it wasn't for me like that top top tier of no, documentary but let's for me. be honest and that's not a criticism by any stretch of the imagination they could have, that is just me teeing up at as to how great this one was. Danny could have done a documentary that was solely on id software alone. Yeah, it, but it was, yeah, it, the, the, the Rocket League one, because I really, I'm conscious now that I'm not bearing this documentary <laughs> no, at all, the Rocket League one. <laughs> it was as good a documentary as you could have made on that game. Um, but it was not, if I were to think, um, if I were to come up with, like, say, a list of things I would have wanted to see video game documentaries on, that wouldn't have been the obvious one to me. So that's why I wasn't hyped out of my damn mind when I knew the Rocket League one was coming. I was interested, but I wasn't kind of super excited. But when he said he was doing how Doom 2016 came to be, absolutely excited about that because I love Doom is one of my favourite franchises of all time. The first two Doom games are two of my favourite games of all time. Um, this new one is one of my favourite games of the year. Doom 3 is this fucking weird thing that happened. It's a thing that happened. It is yeah. really weird. If it was a game that wasn't called Doom, it would have been really good. You know, it's coming into it and thinking this is the third Doom game makes it a lot worse to yeah, me. There's a lot. If it's a, if it's a survival horror game that has loose kind of, oh, that's kind of like Doom, but it isn't Doom. Yeah. I think I would have liked that game a lot better. Um, I think what Doom 3 is, is Doom 3 is its software saying, let's make Doom, but like Half-Life. But it was during, yeah, but it was during that phase where people were thinking, okay, we want to keep these franchises that have cachet, that have name value going, 
but we feel that we can't they, they hadn't cracked how to do uh 2000s versions of a 90s game yet sure, which is what 2016 you know. doom ended up being yeah, 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 Dune 2016, and like to uh, not as good example, but certainly definitely uh, also happened with when they when um, Machine Games rebooted Wolfenstein. Sure, that was yeah. the first one I remember. Heard it was like, oh my god, they figured out how to. Th- they've just made the 90s game, but they made it really pretty. You know, that's that's kind of all you need to do. But um, it's a three part series. If you look, if you search for No Clip, all one word on YouTube, you'll find it. Uh, three part series on how Dune 2016 got to be made. And it was a fascinating look uh, behind the scenes, interviewing a lot of people who were involved in making the game over at id Software, um, uh, interviewing the composer of that unbelievable goddamn heavy metal soundtrack on Doom, um, showing some... One of the coolest bits of footage was in part two of the documentary where they showed the behind-closed-doors footage that was shown at... Um, was it QuakeCon? It was QuakeCon, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Where they first showed Doom. That somehow, and they point this out in the documentary, how that never leaked. Because they basically they had a room full of people at QuakeCon and they decided out of the blue to show the first footage of Doom. Uh, it wasn't still called Doom 4, was it? That was when it was officially announced as just being Doom. Yeah. Yeah. And they just, all they did was they just asked people not to record it and they didn't. And in this day and age, it is unbelievable that footage never leaked before now <laughs> because people were clamoring to find it yeah when the word was coming out that people saw doom and that people were like you see the reaction in the documentary people were just out of their chairs applauding <laughs> it was that and it was only just a short i think it was just a short clip of the revenant tearing your limbs off um it um it's a it's a really good deep dive into one of the most um significant game studios that has ever existed. Um for me the the key thing about it is it really went into the trouble with bringing doom from what it was into 2016 because uh-huh. that was the thing that interested me is like what what was their thought process behind the the issues with what ended up being with the footage that we saw of doom 4 mm-hmm. um and like you could really see they were trying to bolt all of these things onto the doom franchise and they were getting further and further away from what doom actually is and they're talking about yeah, like they, the... they basically confirmed the rumor that everybody had believed for a long time that there were the original version of doom was this heavily scripted uh semi-realistic military shooter because if you think about when doom 4 was being de- part of when it was being developed was during the the real kind of rise to prominence yeah. of call of duty and y- you could really tell that there was this, just that moment for them when they went what are we doing like we need to make a doom game that has the, the core elements of what you know what people want from a doom game fast-paced no loading uh, or, or reloading, sorry, um, and just, you know, demons from hell. You know, you mm. as Doom, the Doom Slayer, the Doom guy, and demons. That's it. Nothing yeah, more, yeah. nothing less. And the footage that they showed of what Doom 4 was looked interesting, but you could really tell, like, this is not a Doom game in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, again, it probably would have been like Doom 3. If it had been released as a different game, yeah. I probably would have been like, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. You know? Um, but so like things there, they're pointing out like the the decision to go um, 
with the you know the demonic invasion in progress uh yeah. they would say that's basically just like are you ready to go because this is fucking happening yeah, now. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know um yeah it's a re- really good documentary i think danny dwyer is doing some important work because there is no one really out there doing that sort of thing um at all um and the fact that it's crowdfunded as well and independent of any kind of major outlet means he can proper take some time get embedded over uh do things the way he wants to do knows that he's not doing it for the sake of people watching the video he actually had a big um video i don't know if you saw it on his own personal youtube channel recently about this about uh, the reason why well one of the reasons why he left was just he doesn't like the way that uh games coverage is going um because it is singularly preoccupied with ad revenue which is going away yeah um and he'd much rather do it his way with the patrons that allow him to operate fully independently and not worry about you know he says he doesn't care if there's 200 clicks on his videos or 2 million um he's making a body of work that is important Uh, and that is what he's doing because it's going to get to a point within about 10 or 15 years where we're not going to have um especially when not so much with this game because it just came out this year but with older games there are going to be less and less people as time goes on that's just how it works that are going to be around to tell the story of different things mm-hmm. like there are a big list of things I would like to see him do like there's obviously ones that we've talked about video game documentaries that we'd love to see that he'll never get to do like you know the what the fuck happened at Konami when Metal Gear Solid 5 is a thing that's never going to happen until all the possibly offended parties are long since dead um the same with uh, i don't think you'll ever hear the story of what happened with 3d realms when duke nukem forever was being made but there are some interesting stories i would like to hear um like i would like uh, him to go and trace down all the people from like crystal dynamics uh, not crystal dynamics what was the name of the silicon knights uh when they made um eternal darkness yeah how, how the fuck that came about i want to get the the documentary on silent hill 2 the ones I want to get because I'm pretty sure most of Team Silent, the original Team Silent, don't work at Konami anymore. Yeah, I would like to get um, Neversoft. Yeah, talking about the original to, uh, Tony Hawk's. Yeah, and then Tony Hawk's Five. I'd like him to go back. I know he did a. Uh, um, uh, oh, so it was the point. He did an episode about The Witcher on that, but I'd yes. like to see him go back. Yes, and do a proper that. long form like this Polish studio that have made themselves into one of the most coveted studios in the world in one game. And what will be really interesting as well is when he starts diving into like the one man studios and seeing yeah. how, um, cause that's just him and one person and they can go for as long as they want. And, mm-hmm. uh, that would be really fascinating. But yeah, yeah. it's uh, I put it in there at the top of the news because... It was, I, it was a really good documentary. It's a really, really good documentary series. Uh, everybody should check it out. Uh, go to his Patreon if you want to support him and get whatever his exclusive stuff is. I definitely think in the new year when I've got a bit of money going around, I'm actually going to chip a few quid in uh, just to support the product. Because that's what I do. I support stuff i believe sure in, actually know? it was announced as well today uh again bring on every week uh mark brown he's uh, game makers talk it so he's the editor at pocket gamer but he's actually fully going uh to uh game makers talk it as like his full-time thing in the okay. new year which would be really cool because he does a lot of game design uh, uh short pieces uh which are really good so there, there's two people like in the new year that are going to be to- solely yeah. Patreon like we've got we've got um much as I agree with a lot of Daniel Dwyer's points about how there are certain elements of the game's media and game's coverage that are at an all-time 
horrible point in terms of fixation on advertising revenue and clicks and things like that like you're increasingly seeing the major outlets and this is across all like ign kotaku GameSpot becoming more preoccupied with getting people to click on videos about the walking dead from last week rather than talking about games yeah uh, or posting the same story repeatedly over the course of a week because they know it was one that was doing well for the clicks rather than actually like deep diving and stuff but we've got there's it, it's worth saying I always talk I always mention them on this show they get name drop I feel like at least once an episode but Giant Bomb do great coverage of things and it's that's their probably the one of the finest personality driven contents who it must be said and I cannot state this strongly enough do not give a shite no. <laughs> what developers no, fu- think. no fucks are given there yeah, yeah. Uh, Jim Sterling is out an independent um and again, does not give a shit. So there's great coverage going on there. Uh, Waypoint advice. Um, obviously, they're uh, much like Giant Bomb. They have they're under the umbrella of a bigger corporation, but they seem to have a great deal of independence. And already, there's some really good deep dive stuff going on at Waypoint that mm-hmm. I really, really like. Um, so people should check that stuff out. And yeah, like the independents, like Daniel Dwyer, Jim Sterling. Um, there's some good stuff out there yeah even if you're more uh, like personality driven uh, if you're into kind of listening to people you like and their thoughts rather than them going deep into stuff like the likes of Kind of Funny and things like that that are kind of they're more surface level they're not kind of getting in deep like Danny O'Dwyer or Patrick Klepek or anyone like that but they're still entertaining content and every now and we again we are at an all time low uh, in some respects in terms of games journalism but we're at an all time high in terms of uh, the the kind of environment for independent coverage as and well. every now and again Yahtzee still does a good good video that I enjoy yeah damn right damn mm. right uh, GTA Online this is our next news story I didn't know about this so this GTA Online um, yeah so I knew uh, we had mentioned a couple of weeks ago that they had uh, a new uh, update coming to the online that was called Import Export um, and it's the latest free expansion they have been this game came out excuse me, over three years ago, uh, over two years ago on current-gen platforms, but over three years ago in general. Mm-hmm. And it's still getting regular content Yeah, updates. because it still keeps making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, and they still keep selling copies But this of is it. like, this is the proper, like I know GTA is in a class of its own, but this is the, this is where, I, this was the real turning point for people going, wow, games as a service, lots of free content, and these fuckers just keep playing. Yeah. You know? Um, so this update adds, this is from Eurogamer, adds all new Turf Wars mode, which allows two to four teams to compete for control over tiles that you claim by driving over them. Sounds a bit like Splatoon, only with cars instead of transforming squid children. They both have, uh, they both have shooting though, as Turf Wars Arena is littered with rockets. What do you think about that? <laughs> Territory control with cars Splatoon with cars and rocket launchers yeah it's like they're, they're trying to take elements of Rocket League and Splatoon and all these kind of big yeah. online multiplayer well, they games took their, they took their Mario Kart uh, influence with that uh, the stunt courses yeah. update because those stunt courses are fucking great they're so much fun uh, yeah, I really, really like that. As you, uh, like and they, and every update as well always add like some more side missions as well and some more vehicles that will kind of um, that will motivate you to start working harder to earn the ability to buy these vehicles. They've essentially made an MMO here. Yeah, yeah, they well, really have. Yeah, like it's it's borderline that at this point. Yeah. Um, 
I it still surprises me that they haven't just kind of full out gone and made GTA Online as a standalone thing and like made a subscription kind of service for it because they could do that. You see, I I think after a certain point though, if you if you go from the free model to the subscription model, unless they provide a significant motivating factor in like what they could do this is just spitballing if they go right it's gonna be a subscription service we'll keep the free service but you go to the subscription service new territories unlock you can go back to vice city and liberty city in 2016 Mm -hmm. we have separate maps that you fly to from the airport that might get a lot of people on board but i think it's very difficult to go from free to behind a paywall to try and drag people with you especially when at the moment people are already they're they're obviously paying enough money for those like shark cards and all the different microtransactions people are obviously paying enough that they're still developing they're still adding updates so they must be making a nice oh they're bank off making it. insane also it, it's it. probably a nice tidy sum that they can put a small team on the updates while they have uh their eyes on much bigger things with sure. Red dead redemption yeah. and the like um yeah good times and the good times are about to end because we're not heading into Konami Corner this week, Mark. We're heading into what I'm calling the Namco Nook. And uh, this is a story that tickled you something fierce. Soul Calibur, a series that is close to a lot of people's heart. In the I'm a big game fan. Community. I was a Calibur. big Soul Calibur 2 guy yeah. uh, back in my youth. Um, the series turned 20 this week. And uh, how would you have chosen to celebrate if you were if you owned the IP? I would have probably um, either made some announcement of like a HD release of mm. one of the games. Um, yeah, that would probably be it. Yeah, or announce maybe like some concept work for a new one if they were sure. developing a new well, one. Just yeah, something. Yeah, they didn't do that no. over at uh, at uh, Namco Bandai. They. Uh, just made a pachinko machine, which is a very Konami move. It just makes me think, you know, the Silent Hill was a pull the lever. That's all I can think of uh, when I when I hear about pachinko yeah. machines. I mean, like, I can kind of fucking. I can kind of see a reason for them not announcing anything because they're working on getting Tekken Seven ready for a Western release. But I will say this: I think announcing this was worse than announcing nothing. <laughs> this is also true. This, I think maybe wait a week announce that. This <laughs> is also true. Um, but how very Japanese. Yeah. But hey, look, pachinko machines make a lot of coin, so yeah, whatever. What are you going to do? This is true. Um, uh, this backwards compatible uh, program for Xbox, they have passed 300 titles now on it. And the headliners to be added this week are the entire Bioshock franchise. So Bioshock the Collection came out a couple of months ago, so people that don't still didn't still have the old discs had their chance to pay 40, 50 quid, I think it was. Uh, to get both uh, all three games uh, with a nice uh, lick of polish on them. Um, I know at the time it wasn't reviewed as being the polish that maybe necessarily you would have hoped for. It wasn't com- like up to say... There are mods for the PC version of the original Bioshock that make it look better than it does on PS4 and Xbox One. I saw uh, an article today, uh, like half of all Xbox One owners are like primarily just playing backwards compatible games. Yeah, oh, and I yeah. like well, especially because fucking Red Dead Redemption is out there as well. I but say, it, I say this though: is that a damning indictment of the Xbox One back catalog? I, catalog? Yeah, see, I, of the Xbox One catalog by itself, yeah, 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 it is because is that, there's not. Like the thing is, most of the th- because I would reckon 
I don't, I have not, I haven't not seen an article that has done the work in this because I don't know how you would do it. But I would suspect that a significant portion, not a majority, but a significant portion, more than would be true in previous generations, of people that have Xbox Ones also have PS4s, like me. Mm-hmm. And they would be the case of they bought the PS4 first and bought the Xbox One later when it was on sale. And. I would suspect those people would be like me, where if a game comes out and it's on all platforms, they'll play it on the PS4. I play, I Sometimes I'll get a multi-platform one on the Xbox One, but it's rare. Uh, like, I got Rock Band 4 on the Xbox One. You know what the amazing thing about this is, right? Well, um, I was exactly the same in the last generation, but it was the other way around. Yeah. Like, I would always yeah. get the 360 version because the PS4 three version was usually bought beyond belief yeah but, well, no, and it, it, with this generation uh with a couple of exceptions it's not that one of them is fucked and one of them's not no it's just that it's just... i'm so used to playing ps4 yeah because it's the main console i bought that um i that's just the way i play now xbox one some of their exclusives are pretty good i think if it had had a single player mode i think titanfall the original was really good game. Mm-hmm. It just did not have that thing to keep you coming back to it. I think that um, Sunset Overdrive is one of my favorite console exclusives on any platform this generation. Uh, I think Halo Five was perfectly serviceable. It wasn't. It didn't blow the doors off the fucking place, but it wasn't a bad game either by any stretch of the imagination. Gears of Gears of War Four gave me exactly what we wanted. Gears of More. There's still nothing there that you're telling me that is like I need to play these games. If they'd it's held like, their water, if I have an Xbox like, One, then uh, yeah. sure. If they'd held their water and it wasn't just a timed exclusive, Rise of the Tomb Raider is definitely in the upper echelon of games of this entire generation. Sure. Now that but, has come out. Yeah. Um, like I think the the outstanding one personally because I don't have Forza is probably the one a lot of people would point to because. Mm, sure. There's no Gran Turismo on PlayStation yet. And the games are... Some people consider them quite different. I'm not a racing game guy, so I can't speak to that. Um, but a lot of the exclusives that I would be inclined towards playing, of the uh, the best of them, I think, is Sunset Overdrive. The most unique of them all. Uh, there's like smaller ones like Super Hot is still a console exclusive on Xbox One. Yep. Um, and that's one of my favorite games of the year. Um, there's some smaller games like that, but yeah. And Cuphead isn't out yet. So, yeah, yeah, definitely one of the big draws of the Xbox One, apart from the fact that I think a lot of the apps work better on it. Uh, You've said is not the, much. the WWE Network It's the, mo- the most stable version of the WWE Network app I have ever used is the Xbox One version uh, in terms of when it's streaming live. Yeah. Um, it is the least problematic on the same internet connection. The most problematic version is the browser one. Um, still to this day, it's sometimes a bit fucking weird. How's um, your Samsung Blu-ray one? It's fine. It's yeah. fine. It's it's probably at the start of the it at the start it was better than the PS4 one, but the PS4 one has come on quite a bit. Um, I still think the Xbox One is the gold standard for that. Um, and apparently it is for. Fight Pass as well. It's much better than Blu-ray apps or browser apps for Fight Pass. Still, n- it no, it's not a set U- USP by any stretch. You know what? Probably still more likely going to buy a Switch. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think yeah, one of the big appeals is the backwards compatible thing because it, either if you have the discs lying around or you can go onto the store on your browser and buy the old game new for buttons digitally. 
Um, it's a really easy system as well to do that and get. That's how I got Red Dead Redemption. I don't have the disc for Red Dead Redemption. I just went on bought uh, <laughs> I bought it for like was it four quid new on the digital <laughs> sh- like one of the greatest games of last yeah. generation four quid and downloaded it. Um, it, yeah, over three hundred titles and adding the Bioshock franchise to it is just—it's more icing on the cake. It does sound like an overpriced three sixty emulator. Do you know what's interesting? Like, um, maybe it's because they don't want to dedicate any money at all to uh, porting them. But what would make a huge amount of money if they were made backwards compatible uh, on Xbox One and made ps3 or ps2 ports on the ps4 would be the metal gear games because a lot of people picked up the vita port of metal gear solid one which is terrible well because you could buy mgs1 on the ps3 oh the the twin snakes version or the no just the original because i had the original on my ps3 oh you could yeah because they had ps1 classics yeah but yeah most of the PS3 generation, I wasn't online. Okay, because so, yeah. I have... I know I've got MGS1 on my Vita, and I think I've got MGS3 on my Vita as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, you got them for the, the plane to China. Because remember, you were, you were intending on sitting yes. down with Snake Eater on the yeah, plane. Yeah, and I got about an hour into it and went, nah, you know what, it's not for me. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, but yeah, the... Before we go back into that discussion. Yeah, backwards compatible is great on Xbox One. It's yeah. it's really cool. Like, if you have the old discs, it gets a bit of life back into them. Like, the Mass Effect trilogy is on there. All the old Gears of War games. Bioshock and a lot of other weird games. And I look, I don't know how much, if any, <laughs> at all, this is... Um... I was going to say as well, if you want to copy a console exclusive, Rare Replay. Yeah, but I was going to say, I don't know how much of this plays into that, but, um, like, Nintendo announcing that GameCube games will be on Nintendo mm-hmm. Switch... Don't know if they looked at Microsoft and went, "Yeah, we should do that," or it's just they had at some point the GameCube games had to be. I think enough time has passed now. Yeah. They've been doing it kind of like because the last generation, the N sixty four games came through onto the store, so this is the next logical step. And it's always been amazing because essentially, like the GameCube, the hardware in the GameCube has been used pretty much for the Wii and the Wii U. So yeah, that, because they been... well, they'd, like the Wii accepted the discs from the GameCube. Yeah, well, nice no, because they were using essentially the same hardware. Yeah. Um, so it's. Like, there's never been a reason from that perspective of why they couldn't use virtual console. I think for the it's just games. they. I think it's that they probably just wanted to wait, not flood the the virtual store with uh, N64 and GameCube at the same time. Wait until enough time has passed that there's a new generation coming in, or people who are around for the GameCube are clamoring for the old GameCube games, and then do it. Or it's because everyone kept banging them. the fucking breeze. Yeah. Or it's because everyone kept banging on at them about making a new F Zero game, and he went, "Look, we won't make a new F Zero game." But we'll make it so you can emulate it and play the yeah. F-Zero GX. On yeah, the Lazy Man's load. Yeah. Um, speaking of old games making an appearance, this was one that popped up in the headlines. Rhyme, from a, a former PS1 exclusive, is coming to PS4 and Xbox One and Nintendo Switch at some point in the near future. Were you a Rhyme guy? I've never even heard of it. You've never heard of Rhyme. So Rhyme was like this really kind of weird... It was basically... Last Guardian before, like, a generation before Last Guardian existed. It was that kind of, like, weird, arty kind of uh, puzzly platformery sort of thing. Okay. Uh, it ha- It definitely has. I-, I have... There is a subset of people in the gaming community who are big Rhyme fans. Um, and there are people who 
think it was just a bunch of overblown pretentious crap um i've definitely heard it being discussed on podcasts before um horizon zero dawn uh, will now launch march 1st in the uk and ireland very exciting <laughs> very much looking forward to that game I mean, if I play it, it'll probably be you will finish it, and then I go, Dave, can I borrow your copy? So uh, it's one of the games, like, it's, it's like, of the games that are realistically coming out within the next year or so, it is probably right there in the top one or two on the list uh, with Zelda and Mario for me of games I'm damn hyped for. It does look good. Yeah. Um, uh, like, literally everything I've seen of this game is like, give it to me now. Give me this game now please, can I have this? When can I have it? When can I have it? March 1st is when I can have it. Yeah, I don't know. It, it was really interesting how um, I had, just because of the, the announcements and when they were coming out, and or mainly just the development cycles of when I was hearing about them, the two games I'd kind of put side by side were um, Horizon and uh, Recall. Ah. And now, Recall... One of those did not stick the landing, my friend. So Recall has... Uh, well, it's it's in that six to seven out of ten territory yeah it, for most people it's kind of like eh, repetitive i wonder how horizon will do yeah i'm hoping uh it'll also be interesting to get a look at that uh that engine they're using i can't remember the name of it now the but it's, gorilla well that's the name of the studio but they I, have a name for I the engine just the end gorilla. no it's a new engine they've developed for this it's foxhound it's the one that death stranding is going to use yes i'm aware of that, um yeah. no i'm going to beat myself up if i try to more remember importantly ukulele hey. has a uh, announced date uh well it's not announced announced is it It was more that they are they put the tile up and accidentally put a date on it of uh, the 11th of april i'm pretty sure i'm gonna go with that being the announced date yeah on top of that what though, was announced was that they've shit canned the wii u version yeah. of it and i due to that unforeseen technical issues doing the biggest air quotes i've ever done in my entire life yeah i would just going to put it out there, say that at least a small part of the unforeseen technical issues would be the fact that there's probably a better console on the way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that this Wii U <laughs> is fucking dead in the water. Pretty much. Ship. Pretty much. Um, like, at a stretch, if they hadn't announced, like, the, the Wii U was going to be, halt- all production was going to be halted, like, I could maybe see, oh, there might be some people who would want to keep their Wii U around if that's the only console they've got uh, to play ukulele. But there is no reason at this point for ukulele to come out on the wii u mm-hmm. um it's a very smart decision to just say fuck it put it on uh put it on the switch uh yeah i, I think it's a smart move yeah speaking so. of which the switch uh we have our time and date set for the big reveal of the the what would presumably be the launch date the launch price and the some, if not all, of the launch lineup. I would imagine all, because if we're all assuming from um, the, the leaks that have been coming out that have been pretty reliable so far, um, this console is coming out in March. So you would think in January they'd want to have a pretty good idea what's going to be coming out on the console. Um, so in UK time, I believe it's 8... In America, I believe it's 8 Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern uh, on uh, the 12th of January, which makes it the 13th of January at 4 a.m. UK time. Oh, we're going to die. 
that was mathematics that nearly broke my head. <laughs> uh, but yeah, middle of the night over here, uh, late evening in the States. See, what they miss a trick is if they had done it on like the 3rd of January or the mm. 5th of January while we were in uh, Wrestle Kingdom time. Um, that would have been good because then I could have just basically adjusted my body clock to, to yeah. Japanese hours for two days. Um, yeah, that's, and it is the reason it is that that stupid clock is because it's to be in line with Japanese time. Um, because fuck us, that's, that's more. Yeah, like. among the things that people are expecting to be confirmed are what's up with that Mario game. We know Zelda is probably going to miss the launch date, uh, but what else is coming out at launch? Yeah. How quickly are we getting the Mario Kart and Splatoon? Are they sequels? Are they ports? We know Splatoon is a port for sure. I am about 95% certain that Mario Kart game is Mario, Mario Kart, Kart 8, 8 Ultimate but, or yeah, something like that. Which yeah. I'm absolutely fine with. Yeah. And you know what? Do you know what would really... Um... I think we talked put in a proper battle mode. Besides that. Because that is what was rumoured, wasn't it? That they've redone the battle mode for it. What would really excite me is if they made either that or Splatoon as like a pre-installed game on every Switch. Oh no. Oh no. You know that's not what's going to happen, so why would you do that to us? But just, just imagine. That, yeah. Because I've not had a like a proper kind of pre-installed game Alex since Kid. Alex Kidd. Yeah. Other than I think um, the early Xbox 360 models came with either Zuma or one of those uh, kind of old arcade. No, it was um, oh fuck, what was it called? There was uh, there was like a kind of Buster Groove sort of game. Uh, no, bust. Yeah, bust. Is it Buster Groove? Yeah, the, no, Bubble Bubble, that's it. Uh, there was a kind of Bubble Bubble sort of game that was uh, one of the early games on the 360 that I got a lot of enjoyment out of um, that was pre-installed. So, um, yeah. yeah. Looking forward to seeing more. One of the interesting things that Eurogamer were reporting recently that I'm looking forward to seeing if they can confirm uh, either by saying it or by showing it in the video is that the touchscreen on the tablet is going to be responsive to multiple touches at the same time. Indeed. Which is quite interesting hmm. um uh yeah that's looking forward to the switch early january for that uh have you been reading about what's going on at crytek mark uh, no it's on fire right uh, your, ooh, i'm i'm gonna open this link and have a look crytek is in i'll read this out to you so you can listen to my uh, my lilting tones as i say it crytek is in trouble again with staff saying they have suffered delayed wages for months oh Rumours of Crytek's financial trouble emerged online last week with an anonymous report on Reddit indicating the German company had failed to pay staff since May. That's quite bad. Eurogamer was contacted by a current employee of Crytek's main office in Frankfurt, Germany, who said that staff had not been paid for over two months there and pay over the previous five months had been delayed by up to four weeks. The source accused Crytek's embattled founders, brothers Sevant and Anvi Yearly, of failing to communicate properly with the company's increasingly angry workforce. Eurogamer has since verified reports with a separate source at the Frankfurt office who painted a dim picture of the one superstar video game and engine maker. The source said the current belief is that Crytek has simply run out of cash and while management are working on new deals, a rescue plan is taking longer than expected. Morale, as you'd expect, is quite low with much of the anger directed at Servat Yearly. I interviewed him in 2014 and quizzed him on unpaid wages, poor communication and the cancellation of Rise 2. His answers did not go down well. One source uh, one source told Eurogamer staff uh, aren't even sure or told Eurogamer staff aren't even sure if Sevat's still with the company as he hasn't been seen in the employee update meetings for months his brother Avni is, has been the primary point of contact 
Crytek PR have so far failed to respond to Eurogamer's request for comment. After its recent financial crisis, which saw the studio sell off Homefront developer Crytek UK to Deep Silver and sign a company-saving deal with Amazon for the use of the CryEngine, Crytek Switch focus to virtual reality titles. It recently released Robinson the Journey and The Climb, both well-received VR games but neither money-making projects. No, I wouldn't have thought they were. Yeah, like, looking, the last kind of big thing that I see uh, they released would have been Rise. Yeah, which, which was... Wasn't... Eh. I, I don't think that was a moneymaker. Uh, no, at, well, actually, I'd say that probably... Um, did reasonably well because it was a launch title yeah. so people are just going to buy it to have something yeah to play. but then it was a launch title for a console that didn't sell all that well yeah, yeah. out the gates i'd say yeah i'd say i'd say it was among the most purchased of the launch games for xbox one but that's and not then after that you're looking at the crisis games which have always been they're very nice to look at but as a first person shooter yeah uh yeah i didn't really thought about crytek as a game company in in a while um, and I guess that's probably a bad thing. Yeah. Uh, now, obviously, their engine is is a very nice looking engine, but um, yeah, that that doesn't sound good. No, it's not good at all. I, I remember one of my favorite things about a uh, crisis. Um, it was a crisis two. There was a great joke. Um, the Escapist magazine used to have a series called Drez. If you remember, I do that yep. was done by a couple of people up in Northern Ireland, actually. Um, and they had a great one which is about they were investigating the existence of aliens and they were like uh, proof number pr- there was like uh, like exhibit B for the existence of aliens crisis 2 how could so, how could uh, this game have been developed on earth when no PC is capable of running it <laughs> um Christmas time is here, Mark, and as such, uh, games are going to be trotting out all the Christmas tat. I'm sure if I logged into GTA Online, they'll be doing like they did last year, and there's a Christmas tree in your apartment, and it's snowing most of the time there, which I thought was a nice little touch. Uh, The three big ones this year uh, that I've seen anyway are Hitman, Overwatch, and Pokemon Go. Hitman have added a Christmas bonus mission in which you get the opportunity to dress up as Santa 47. Yeah, so I've played that level. Yes. Um, I didn't find the Santa outfit just Aww. yet, so I'm going to probably have a look at some point over the weekend, but I did complete the mission. Uh, nothing too different about it, other than, you know, there are presents around the place, and um, there are trees and there's snow. Is it in one of the pre-existing maps? It's in Paris. Ah, yes. Yeah. Cool. So, and considering I've only primarily been playing Paris, I'm, yeah. like, very well up on how to do that level now, mm-hmm. so... Uh, yeah, that's that's cool. Overwatch has uh, some Christmas-themed outfits, some Christmas-themed maps, and uh, I particularly laughed at they have dressed Tjoborg up as Santa, uh, sure. which is quite good. But uh, in terms of gameplay, nothing really has changed no. there with Overwatch. Which it's still, is, it no one to. wants it to. No, <laughs> you, you can't do that yeah. with that. Uh, Pokemon Go has uh, done the most adorable Christmas novelty of all, and that is now you can uh, fire Pokemon Go and find Pikachu that wear Santa hats. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, I didn't know if you catch Pikachu now, they can sit on your shoulder in your avatar. Excellent. Which is incredibly adorable as well. What I didn't know... And when you involve it into a Raichu, it's still wearing the Santa hat. What I didn't know... Which is know, like what everyone wanted to know. What I didn't know, and this is just a quick um, tangent onto Pokemon Sun and Moon. I didn't realise until the other day, and, and my video was showcasing it, is that depending on where you uh, put your um, stick on the Pokemon to kind of like make it happy yeah. if you find like it's bad point good touch bad touch good touch bad touch yeah, yeah. and oh boy doesn't like it best yeah. one I, I can't, did I say this last week about Kadabra oh the spoon yeah, yeah you did yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, oh boy 
I I've probably been getting more fun out of that than anything else in that game so far. I'm not really sure what that says. That's that says a lot. Yeah. That's that's for sure. Super Mario Run, which is launching this week on iOS, uh, it has been found out that it requires a constant online connection, which has annoyed some people who would like to play these kind of games, as you imagine, on subways or commutes where the internet connection may not be the most stable. Do you remember thing in the what world? our friend of the show, Peter Wellington, said the other week when he said that Nintendo do not give a fuck? Yeah. And yeah. they, they do not give a fuck because have you heard their response to this? That we don't give a fuck? No, they just went, it's for piracy. Oh, yeah, they yeah. Just went, there was no corporate no, thing. Yeah. They were just like, no, we don't want people, we want people to pay for this fucking yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, which is like, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, but it's Nintendo. People will buy it. Yeah, yeah. They um, uh, yeah. I can't wait to see, like, when we come back with our first regular show after Christmas to find out how much money that thing's made. Because uh, it's $10 to unlock the full version. I will presume quite a lot. Yes. yes. Or, or, uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see kind of within the, the casual market to see who goes for it. Because mm. the simple fact is if you have to be always online to play that damn thing, that straight away, um, if that kind of really gets out there, like, I, I don't know who's going to be playing that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, a thing we talked about a lot off the air and is kind of relevant to certain aspects of our business and the fact that he is, uh, even though people tune in more for his personality rather than that he's actually playing video games, PewDiePie. He's a good lad. The man who is number one on YouTube by some considerable distance. Mm-hmm. Unless you cumulatively count all the Vivo channels together, then I think that they're all more than him. I'm not counting that. No. Come on now. No one really does. No. Um... He had this thing going on. Now, he has been talking for a long time about the problems with YouTube and about the problems with uh, people's coverage of him. Um, And so what he said was, uh, he had this video where he said, when I get to 50 million subs, which he wasn't far away from when he made that announcement, I will delete my channel. And if anyone has ever heard of PewDiePie before, and this is part of the point. If anyone was actually familiar with his content and tuned in and watched his videos, they didn't take it seriously. No. Um, the people who just report on stuff to have clickbaity headlines because they know the number one guy on YouTube is going to get a lot of clicks, uh, they didn't know and they took it completely at face value. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he was trying to do was sort of because he didn't like cut to the chase. He didn't delete his channel. He deleted his. He like, deleted a channel. He deleted a channel. Jack Septicai Two. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he didn't delete the PewDiePie channel. No. And um, some people were annoyed, but his the, the whole thing was he was making a point both about how, and it's something a lot of YouTubers like Philip DeFranco and a few others have gone on about this uh, views and subscription numbers going mad the last while. There's a couple of videos. Uh, I was wondering, does it just happen with videos that have lots of views on them? No, it happens to ours as well. Because uh, there was a video, I can't remember which one, there was a video that... I put up on the channel a while ago that I know you definitely watched because you text me about it, mm-hmm. about something that was in it. And I definitely watched it to make sure the audio was fine on it. So it should have had at least clocked two views. Obviously, I don't know who else might have watched it, but I know minimum I was looking for was two views. And as of today, it said no views. <laughs> right. So I know that was nonsense. Okay. Right. Uh, so it is happening all across YouTube. I don't know what the deals are. Subscriber numbers. I've literally never kept track of subscribers on YouTube. No. Um, but yeah, it's it's a worrying thing. And it really is amazing that YouTube are only looking into it now after the 
the number one guy had to throw a shit fit and has, uh, as well as a number of people, talked about trying to uh, break off YouTube into their own sort of platform. Well, this Which is, the is probably the inevitable end point if YouTube don't kind of serve the customers The, the, the thing is, is YouTube and by a larger extent, Google, have never been in the place where they've needed to do anything because there's no viable competition. You know, once someone comes along with a platform that can take away um, what has brought them to the dance, then sure. But, like, Dailymotion isn't that service. Vimeo is not that service. Until that comes along, YouTube, like, they can pretty much do as they want. And we Mm. can bitch and we can complain, but it's... Well, the thing is, like, from for most people, that is definitely true. But I think it would take maybe a um, a PewDiePie and some other kind of people that are the level right beneath them if they all kind of together went out. Oh, absolutely. Because as well, the other thing about YouTube, the other side of that is because there's no other game in town, we all have to kind of do what YouTube say. But at the same time, YouTube is reliant on content that is not made by YouTube. Yeah. So if the people that are the like the top kind of channels that people are tuning in for every single day I still think start though, dropping off. That's gonna take a significant amount of people. Yeah. No, know. I still think what it is, it's gonna end up with uh it, it long term it's gonna end up at loggerheads where um YouTube just go, well, fine. Once it doesn't affect our money. I yeah, yeah. fine. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Um, there'll always be things like this. The, the, the no platform will ever be perfect. But uh... anyway, the key thing from this is uh, there are still a lot of people out there that don't give uh, Felix. I like to call him shoot name. There's a lot of people that don't give Felix enough credit for actually being a pretty intelligent guy. Um, yeah. Like yes, on on the face value, well, you say that he voluntarily moved to England. So. Well, this is true. <laughs> well, Brighton, I don't really Brighton. classify as England. Yeah. Um, Brighton's just like an extended holiday. He's on there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But he's a pretty intelligent guy. It is. Like, on face value, yes, he's a bit of a clown. But but that's that's the character PewDiePie rather than him. Yeah. Like, anything I've seen with him where he's just him. He's, he's just spitballing into nice, the mic. very nice, intelligent, reasonable guy. Yeah. You know, and he knows. <laughs> but the thing is, like, you watch any of his videos uh, when he's just kind of, like, just spitballing into the mic. And the, the same thing I keep hearing is, you didn't watch the video, you didn't listen to me, you didn't actually, you just picked bits of what I said. And yeah. I can absolutely see how that has happened. Like, what was the fucking, was it Daily Mail or who was it? Where they call him a Nazi. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's like, yeah, you've just proved his point. Yeah, 100%. Unless he's constantly doing that, and these people are constantly falling for it, which is hilarious. Uh, I do enjoy that. Fucking clown show. Mark, if you had a million dollars, what would you buy? Uh, I'd buy a million dollar dollar car and fly away. Well, one man did not do that. Um, One man spent one million dollars of stolen funds on Game of War. That's the Kate Upton one, isn't it? Yes. uh, Well, actually, it's being fronted at the moment by Mariah Carey. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that where her career's gone to? Yeah, it was Conor McGregor at a point as well, wasn't it? Just <laughs> what? Conor McGregor had one, I think it was Game of War he was on. How much money does that man want? He's going to be in Game of Thrones next year. Excuse was me. Really one of my excuse, favorite. Fucking excuse me. Yeah, yeah, one of my favorite Dave Meltzer moments. Like, Dave Meltzer, editor of the Wrestling Observer, who covers MMA as well. One of my favorite tone-deaf Dave is in the wrestling and MMA bubble moments was... <laughs> He was like, Conor McGregor, there was something in the Observer this week, Conor McGregor is going to be, uh, make a cameo in Game of Thrones next year, and he's going to be, he's going to be one of these troops that don't speak because they have their tongues cut out. Mm-hmm. And he's like, 
oh yeah, you get the greatest talker in the history of MMA and you have him come in and you have, don't have him talk it's like you don't get how little <laughs> Conor McGregor would work in Game of Thrones you just just sit just watch something watch any sort of television program that isn't wrestling Dave please before you die oh Dave God bless him. But He's anyway, adorable. As reported by the BBC, Sacramento Rebe- uh, resident Kevin Lee Co, 45, pled guilty to wire fraud and money laundering after stealing $4.8 million from his employer, Holt, a company that sells Caterpillar machinery. Evidently, he'd been pilfering funds from his employer from 2008 through 2015 before leaving the company. As unearthed in a court document dug up by Ars Technica, Co spent approximately $1 million on Game of War. The rest was spent on luxury cars, plastic surgery, a ritzy golf club membership, furniture, and season tickets to the 49ers and Sacramento Kings. Co faces a maximum penalty of 20 years for each count, fraud and money laundering, with a penalty of $750,000 between the two, though a plea deal could significantly reduce his sentence and fines. Game of War have previously reported to have taken taken in one million dollars per day in revenue and in 2015 developer machine zone spent seven figures to acquire r&b star mariah carey after previously securing model kate upton as the face of the game the developer made so much off game of war it was able to hire none other than arnold schwarzenegger for its follow-up military strategy game mobile strike my eyes are rolling back so far down my skull right now if i had anything close to a million dollars microtransactions are the last thing I would think of. There's a there's a good uh, Lewis Black skit where he basically just gets to the point of saying there are just people out there who want to buy shit and they want to buy more shit than you and it really doesn't matter because at the end of the day we're all going to die and you could have a car and uh, a bath made out of gold but you're still going to be dead. Yeah. Can't take it with you. No, say. exactly. Yeah, that was a weird one. And a final one that I threw in just for you, Mark. Ocarina of Time is a game you enjoy. Uh, This is factually true about me. And Zelda games are games that have, I think you could describe them as lush soundtracks. This could uh, also factually be described as true. The soundtrack to Ocarina of Time is getting a vinyl release recorded by a 64-piece orchestra. The Slovak National Symphony Orchestra. I don't know if you've clicked onto just the cover art for this vinyl. Uh, no, I will do that afterwards. I'm going to treat myself yeah, to you it. will make some inappropriate yeah, noises yeah, yeah. on the air. It's called Hero of Time, music from Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. I am very, very excited. That will put me up to two vinyl records that I will need to purchase yeah, that it, are video game themed. It will be shipping in Q2 2017. Pre-orders are available now and it will cost you £32 sterling. The Streets of Rage 2 vinyl soundtrack is still on my to-do list. Mm. This will probably be my second. Indeed. Um, that is going to do it for the news this week. Uh, and we're going to do something a little bit different for the book club this week. Uh, I can't wait to see what Mark thinks of for a bumper for this because we're not talking about any one particular game. What we're going to do is going to have a loose and uh, relatively brief discussion of the remaining games that are on our shortlist at the moment, not our final shortlist, for Game of the Year because this is our last show before Christmas, we think. Um, so we want to kind of briefly, like we've done the last few weeks, we did our uh, Game of the Year book club where we had our long-form discussions about games that were going to be our nominees for Game of the Year. So there's a few more that we want to talk about um, a little bit briefly just to make sure we've mentioned everything before we come into the uh, the big 
uh, end of year extravaganza. So uh, for the book club this week, it's 2016 Best of the Rest. I don't know uh, where you want to start with this. I'm thinking maybe I'll go at one, and then you go at one, and then we'll kind of we'll work through the list like that. I was hoping you were just going to click random article on Wikipedia and just start reading it, and then go from there. I didn't, <laughs> just, I didn't just, know how you was going to start this. Yeah, no, I, that's what I think. I'm just going to, like, I'll just pick a game off the list. Yeah. We'll talk a little bit about impressions, playing, and this is just game of the year. And at the end, what we'll do is we'll give uh, our categories, uh, all the categories that we have on the list so far for our end of year awards, but not necessarily the nominees because we haven't finalized the list yet because there are still some games that are in the running for categories that we haven't sure. finished yet. Yeah, no problem. Okay, so the first game I'm seeing here, and it's definitely one that I can talk about a lot more than you can, is Uncharted 4. Uncharted 4 A Thief's End which is the it's considered the the final part of the Nathan Drake saga that began years ago one of the the it was what was the launch window game for PS3 was it or I not too long was after early PS3 early yeah. early PS3 anyway uh, and has proceeded through like uh, Uncharted 1 which you and I both revisited this year doesn't necessarily hold up I nope. think Uncharted 2 and Uncharted 3 are very very good games uh, and Uncharted 4 uh, very much takes up from that and um, is definitely a tonal shift in the franchise, I think, um, marked by the, the the departure of Amy Hennig, who the, the, the Uncharted franchise was her baby. She's gone now. She's off making a Star Wars game uh, over at Visceral. Uh, but this was left in the hands of uh, Neil Druckmann and I think Bruce Straley as well, the the men behind uh, The Last of Us. So you knew this was probably going to be a bit more serious. Uh, and it is definitely totally the darkest of the, the four games, while still not losing, I think, the quippy charm of Nathan Drake at the same time. Um, one of the things I al- always like about the Uncharted games, Mark, is that it is the closest we will ever get to having a decent attempt at an Indiana Jones game uh, in this day and age. You are osten- It's ostensibly somewhere halfway between Indiana Jones and Han Solo. Uh, you know, sure. surely enough well, played like, by the same character. The Uncharted series has been playing off of the Tomb Raider series, which was on itself. Yeah, it's, in itself, it's an very Tomb Raider as well. Of, yeah, of uh, Indiana Jones. Yeah, so, yeah that, it's all kind of come full circle. Really. Yeah, yeah. So I, I love Uncharted Four, and there's a lot of reasons for that. One, it's a graphical powerhouse. I think it is one of the most stunning games I have ever played on a home console. Um, it's just 
breathtaking. And I think when you sit down, because between now and game of the year, you're going to sit down and have a go at it. I'm going to have. Have you tried it inside the PS4 Pro yet? Oh, I haven't actually. Mm, there you go. Oh, now There's an idea. Um, but it is sumptuous. There are uh, even early on, you can see how great it is. But I don't think it's until, and I mentioned this to you earlier on, I don't think it's until you get to Madagascar that you realize because Madagascar is the first where it's all bright and there's big expanses and you can see really far into the horizon. So you can see that the draw distance is considerable. Um, it plays really good. I think it is the uh, Uncharted 1. Um, and to some extent Uncharted 2 I think are in terms of because they are sort of shooters as well as being um, Tomb Raider-y explorer games well for me the, that was the biggest problem I had with certainly the first Uncharted it's is sloppy it, it, it feels like a substandard third person yeah. shooter they start to fix that in Uncharted 2 but it doesn't really get there by Uncharted 3 it's reasonably it's reasonably fine. Uncharted sure. 4, I think, is the best in the franchise and adds different dynamics with being able to swing around on ropes and things like that. Um, the combat feels the best. Um, I think it's the most interested I've ever been in Nathan Drake's story. I've never been massively into it. The, the thing that keeps me going story-wise throughout it is less about the actual story that's going on and more about the banter between Drake and Sully. I think the scripting of that banter has always been great if you're into the kind of like cheesy action movie or Indiana Jones sort of movie. Um, I, I think this is this is the Uncharted franchise that it's absolutely... It's, it's firing on all cylinders. I think it is as close to a perfect one of those games as you're probably going to get. Um, I haven't dipped into the, the multiplayer mode too much do you think that there's just there's a real confidence coming off of the back of the last of us that yeah, rides over I think, into the uncharted I think series uncharted, uncharted 4. like uncharted was definitely when the uncharted franchise arrived uh in 2007 2008 whenever it was um I, I think that was naughty dog moving up a step from crash and things like that so we can do narrative and we can do realistic because at the time it looked great um, we can do a kind of realistic, uh, broader kind of game than you'd know Naughty Dog for. And I think Last of Us was, we can do this better than anybody can. Well, we can do it seriously. Yeah, because Last of Us is considered by a lot of people, and I know you're not a crazy Last of Us fan, but a huge amount of when the console cycles came to an end and the PS4 and the Xbox One were coming out, a lot of people's game of the generation was The Last of Us. So they, there is going to come considerable swagger from sure. that. Sure, yeah. Um, and Druckmann and Straley can can do no wrong. And I'm very interested to see what Neil Druckmann is going to do with Last of Us Part 2 when Bruce Straley isn't on that project. Um, well, the, which the, I'm interested to see what Amy Hennig is going to do with Star Wars on her own well, the, away from Naughty Dog. The key thing about Uncharted 4 that I, I'm interested to find out for myself is um that swagger and confidence coming out of last of us is that related in the the characters and their interaction it's it's a lot darker and it's a lot i think the scripting is better um not at the quippy dialogue but the scripting is better at telling you what the stakes are and at emphasizing the relationships in the game is it also in a way of making these kind of feel like believable, real people? Because I've never gotten that yeah. out yeah, of the Yeah, much more so than any of the other games. And I think what's very interesting, uh, a real um, a real sign of how good the, the, the story and the scripting is in this game is that the game retcons in a brother, uh, played by Troy Baker. 
who is scripted in such a way that he feels such a natural part of Nathan Drake's life that not only does it not seem like an obvious retcon, but you will find yourself, if you've played games of franchise, going, was he, what? was he in this before you know that it just seems like it seems so obvious naturally like oh of course nathan drake's brother is in this one as if he's always been there um yeah it's a it's a really 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 good game um and i think um it's a reasonable contender for game of the year um there are other games i will fight harder for on this list i think it's unfortunate for uncharted 4 that it came out in such a banner year for some other games um it's it's really stiff competition this year it's much stiffer than last year um where i think that um we knew what one two and three were last year before we even started game of the year it was just a matter of what order they went in and nothing else mattered after that true um I think it's going to be this this year without getting too much into it. I'm not going to name the two games because I want to leave a little bit of suspense in it. But if you listen to the show, you probably know. Um, I think this year comes down to two games for the first spot and then anything after that, it's fucking open season. Um, that's how tight it's been this year. But that's Uncharted 4 anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to mention Hitman. Like, yes. we haven't spoken about it yet. But the thing is... We've probably spoken about Hitman more than any other game over the last six to eight months or so. It's so fascinating. It's just, it's such a fascinating and game. To be fair, part of that is because of the episodic release of the content. It's kept the conversation going. Which is, you know... I remember, I remember when it was announced that this game was going to be episodic. And we all went, We what? thought it was the dumbest shit yeah. we'd ever seen. Oh, we buried it weren't God, we what a fools. money grab we said and it may have been but my god it worked out there's, splendidly there's been a couple of really good um articles that have gone up recently looking at hitman there was one that went up today on giant bomb that is worth looking the thing with hitman is it takes elements of the the kind of puzzle elements of hitman go yeah and it it just makes this kind of big like toy box of just shit that you can do and you have these individual sprawling environments that you can explore that are just their own contained Mm. worlds and it throws a bunch of toys at you and goes go and have fun with that see what you can come up with and the the creativeness and the playfulness of these environments um and what you can do like it it's so borders on trying to be it presents itself sort of serious but in no way is there anything about this game can you can take seriously yeah one of the things that's really weird about it as well is right it's it's the best hitman game that has ever come out right and i will fight anybody who thinks that any different but and and it is a a a really cool love letter to the old games the best parts of the old games Mm. But at the same time, it's nothing like them. Yeah. In terms of how, like, the minute-to-minute gameplay in there, it's nothing like any of the old ones. The old ones were... They weren't... They weren't linear, per se, as in... do There was always different side things and different, like, different spins you could put on different missions. Uh, But it was never this open, never this interesting, never this complex, and never this self-aware. Um, I think there was uh, much more of a po-faced element to earlier Hitman games yeah. than this. Like, this game comes out, 
And it knows what Hitman is. It knows that this franchise is inherently silly. And it knows you want to try and put explosives in the toilet and blow the guy up when he has food poisoning. It knows that you want to bean someone in the head with a can of soup. It knows that you want to two-handed throw a fire extinguisher into someone's temple. It is an incredibly dumb stealth game. Yeah. And... And I think that's the way you should do stealth. Exactly. Absolutely. It's kind of like the way Metal Gear Solid last year did stealth, where it's like... Yeah, you can do stealth, but you could also ride in on the back of a horse with a rocket launcher, blow everyone up and get the fuck out of there once you survive and get to the end. And that should always be an option. Yeah. You know? And it really kind of dawned on me what sort of game we were playing where in the second practice mission where you uh, make the guy get into the plane and then he ejects the seats himself out of the plane through the roof and is just gone. (laughs) At that point, I was like... Oh, it's that kind of game, isn't it? Okay, yeah. then. Um, just, yeah, like, I wasn't expecting anything from this. I was... I, I would not have expected, um, one, me to enjoy a Hitman game this much. Because, again, you know my thing about stealth. Yeah. Um, I mean, but me, I would be... Of, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Of the four of us here in the house, I would be the most malleable to the concept of stealth. Because I, at the same time as generally not enjoying stealth, I also have been playing Metal Gear games yeah, for exactly. two decades. So I can play stealth when I think it's there's a reasonable excuse to do it. Like when I'm like, oh, I want to play the game, so I will go through them with the stealth. Mm. Um, but yeah, I would not have expected that uh, all three of you, uh, Brian, who openly hates stealth, you, who openly hates force stealth, and Dan, who is kind of very indifferent to the concept yeah. of it. It's just, it's so inherently fun, and it doesn't feel like a stealth game, yeah, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it um, kind of tricks you into being stealthy because being stealthy is really funny. But the thing is, I think more than anything else, is that when you you're are... dressing up as a supermodel, Helmut Kruger. Yeah, yeah. And wandering around. When you're doing stealth in, from what I remember of Metal Gear Solid, it's usually in kind of self-contained little environments with one or two people. Like, And it's and it's much more stressful. Yes. It's very stressful. There is that as well. Um, With here, like, you're being stealthy, but you're kind of, you're immersed in, in like, in Marrakesh. You're in the crowd you're in the environment so you're being stealthy but you're still moving you know you're still like trying to think okay i need to go here next i need to do that you know like you really it's more like blending in with the environment and the people around you absolutely um yeah it's i will be the first to put my hand up and say that i came into hitman and it's episodic content and ho-humming thinking well this is just not going to work what's interesting like you probably were not for a, co- uh, a combination of uh, maybe people you trust in video games coverage saying it was quite good. And I think as well, what might have tipped over the edge was sitting down beside me and watching the fun we were having. Yeah. Because I don't know if you, like, thinking of a Hitman game would have necessarily gone out of your way to watch the entirety of a playthrough. Like, you might have watched... Um, uh, fucking oh what's the series they call it? but you know where brad and dan Riker do you might have like watched something you might have had uh, breaking brad Bre- yeah was it no, that's the one where he does the trophies i can't remember what the fuck they call it i yeah, know but, yeah, yeah yeah but like if it weren't for the fact that like a lot of people around you were talking about how great it was um and the fact that like we sat down here as a series and played through some of the episodes i don't know if uh, it necessarily would have come across your radar it's one of those things where you need to play it to understand how fun it is, you know? Yeah. Well, it's that, but it's also a game that I can easily watch you play for an hour and just be yeah, intoxicated not, by it. As, as I learned today, do? Brian hopped on with me when we did the, the last Guardian uh, Let's Play. And uh, that really rang home to me that uh, still, 
not every game is conducive to watching. It's no. not every game is a passive experience. Oh god, no. You know, no. But like again, because it's such a toy box, there are so many different. Like, I've done that Paris level about twenty times now, and yeah. most of them I've done in a different fashion. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's up there. It's up there as one of the games of the year. Oh, absolutely is. Um, next on the list for me here. Um, I don't want to talk about that next one under Uncharted because you could talk about that one when if you start running out um i want to talk about overwatch okay all right then um I haven't really spoken about it too much no right so here's the thing here's the thing everyone should know about me and i think if you listen to the show with any regularity you've probably sussed it at this point i am a single player game kind of guy mm-hmm. generally speaking if a game does not have multiplayer or does not have single player i'm not interested the games that I own that people would generally consider big multiplayer experiences, like I had Battlefield 1 this year, I have Titanfall 2, I own FIFA. I have no inclination towards playing those as predominantly multiplayer experiences at all. I occasionally dip into online on FIFA for the fuck of it, but most of the time I'm playing career mode. On Battlefield 1, I played the campaign mode and then traded it. I didn't play multiplayer once, except unless you count the beta. Generally speaking, unless it's local multiplayer, I love local multiplayer because I think it results in very fun evenings around the house. Like when we get together and play Smash Brothers or Mario Kart, or of course. When yeah. we played Pro Evo Six last night, it was a good time was had. Yeah. Um, which is what makes it all the more surprising for me because, as well, the game that um you could draw the closest comparison to Overwatch with is Team Fortress Two. I was never a Team Fortress Two guy at nope. all. Nope. Um I appreciated it for what it was, but it had I had no interest it in it personally i was at uni when it came out and my uh uni mates were trying to convince me but i was like i just want to play portal all right yeah (laughs) yeah pretty much um but overwatch came out and it's a class-based multiplayer only shooter and all of those words i've just said would normally make me run a mile same right but then i read about how it was this record playing uh, record breaking beta it was a 10 million players active on consoles during the uh during the beta for it so i downloaded the beta and i was like oh, hello there's something to this um and then i got the full game and the the only problem i would play this game with a lot more regularity were it not for the fact that there's just been so much to play this year you know what I mean? Yeah. There's there's a reason I haven't traded it in, and that is because I have every intention of playing this quite a bit over Christmas and whenever there's a lull. It's a nice game to be able to come back to. Things I like about this game. Uh, the animation style in it is brilliant. It is not cartoony. It's it, playful. Yeah, it's not, it's not 100% cartoony. It's not 100% realistic. It's somewhere in that kind of grey area between the two. Um, it is, um, the, this, the combat system, um, the, the kind of the the weapons and the power-ups and things like that and the cooldown and stuff like that, I think fairly balances the game. So it doesn't feel like any one character, like if you play Smash Brothers online, for instance, which I have done on occasion, uh, there are certain characters that are unreasonably overpowered the one i the two i can think of straight away are meta knight and kirby 
right? So, and having unbalanced characters, having overpowered characters, ruins the multiplayer experience because you could come up in, in like, it's, I think, five on five in Overwatch. You could come up with a, a team of five of the overpowered characters and it just ruins everything for everybody. Um, I think the control system is basic enough but also nuanced enough. So it's basic enough that you can pick it up and within an hour you know how to play as the kind of characters you like, okay? But it's nuanced enough that if you main with a character or two, you can get really, really good at it, okay? Um, and really good at fulfilling your role within the team. Um, I also think it's the only kind of class-based shooter or anything that I have really ever had any sort of... I have considered different roles in it. So I like... Um, I'm okay with Reaper. I like McCree, who's the guy who definitely isn't John Marston at all. <laughs> um, I like him because, generally speaking, how I play normal shooters when they're single-player shooters is that I like to be in the thick of action, firing off rounds into danger. I'm fairly haphazard, but I will run headlong at the problem and try and shoot it away. So that's what McCree does. McCree has his six-shooter, and his power-ups help you do that kind of thing. Um, I also like if you're feeling, and I think this might be what you would do when we eventually play this, I think you might like, say, Widowmaker, who is the sniper, mm -hmm. who will find her way up. Her her powers help her traverse and get up high, and your sniper rifle is pretty fucking devastating. Um, and it's, it's easy to use, but also kind of there is definitely you feel that you can practice and practice and get really, really sharp at doing it. Uh, the other character I really like in it, and she's very, very excuse me, very, very hard to get used to because there are characters that are very basic. There's um, the likes of McCree and things like that, which are basic. Like if you're going to get into the game or Tracer, uh, who's the one you see on all the, the cover art, uh, there are characters that basically a, a child could figure out how to play very easily. But then there are the kind of the more difficult characters that are more difficult roles in the team. So some of your turret guys, like Joran uh, um, Tjoborg, who you it's more strategic the way he plays because he has to lay down turrets to protect the area or to serve whatever the goal is in this particular map. Um, so you have to think about the, the gameplay in a different way if you're going to main as him. Or the support characters, um, the, the kind of medics, should I say. Um, and the one I would play as who is very, very difficult is Mercy. And Mercy is like the healing version of Widowmaker because she has a sniper rifle that heals people. Um, and she's a very, very difficult character to use because she is almost completely ineffective offensively. So you have to be someone who's very comfortable at you are not going to be in the action. You are not going to be anywhere near the action, nor are you going to be able to help out if you're the only one left, really. Sure. Um, but you can provide very, very substantial um help to your team in, in times of peril. Um, the other thing an overly about, aggressive nurse. Yeah, the uh, the other thing that's that's really great about Overwatch, I think, is the the quick nature of it, and the the best online multiplayer games are the ones that it is so quick to set up. It is so quick to oh, I've lost this one, get back into another one. Because if it was a thing where it was complicated to set up and you kept losing, you would get sick of it really quickly. But you know, you can have fun, you can rematch really quickly within the battle. You can just go back to your safe zone and switch to another character. You're not stuck with that one all the time. Um, that kind of stuff that makes it quick, that makes it snappy, that makes it fun, um, is absolutely fantastic. And there's a huge amount of characters in the game as well. 
uh, that range different difficulty levels and different classes uh, that allow you to kind of start off okay so say you're generally a, sni a sniper or a support character something like that there's very basic versions of those classes and then there are uh, more complicated characters in that same class so you can start off with the basic one figure out the basics of how to play the game then if you feel a bit more confident you go to a more difficult character that's very very hard to uh, figure out everything about but once you do, the benefits are far greater then. Um, I think it is one of the best um, at being a fantastically layered online multiplayer experience, while also being really friendly to people who don't play it all the time. Because I think a competitive scene and a scene where, like Call of Duty, I could never start now playing Call of Duty online because everybody who plays that game plays it all the time. Yeah. Uh, whereas Overwatch, I feel I could go in and stand a chance. And not in the sort of way, like you always, um, one of your critiques of Smash Brothers is that no matter how good you try to get at the game, you could be beaten by a five-year-old headbutting the buttons in random succession. It's not like that, but it certainly, it it helps you if you're new. Um, it, it You don't feel like you're drowning. The key thing for me um, is how does it, tier you in terms of experience like do you get points and that just says okay yeah. you are level this or does it like give you any kind of yeah benefit? there are levels because that's of the help. biggest issue with cod yeah so there point. are levels of help but they don't give you a disproportionate advantage in combat generally the levels the biggest thing they uh the biggest thing they they give you is more loot boxes yeah and so i you imagine, get different cool skins and things like that. i imagine the key thing with that as well is it uh tears you into like certain uh categories when it comes to matchmaking so you're, yeah yeah Okay, that's that's good. That's what I would like to hear from a game like. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. And uh, the the kind of the 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 microtransactions uh, that exist in it for buying loot boxes aren't the pernicious, constantly beating you over the head. You don't feel any worse off for not being someone who pays. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, because the loot boxes are completely one hundred percent cosmetic. Um, the people who are paying loads for loot boxes aren't getting like super deluxe weapons that you can't have. Mm -hmm. They're just getting reskins of the same weapons, so it yeah. doesn't really matter. It's just a matter of taste and aesthetic. Um, what's your next one here? Uh, next one, and then I'll probably make this the last one because we've been going on forever. Yeah. Uh, the witness, Jonathan blows Ooh. the witness. Yes. You have been down with The Witness this I week. have been down with The Witness. I've been very much down with The Witness. Not this week in particular. Mm -hmm. um, so The Witness is a puzzle game. And it's interesting to have a puzzle game on a kind of game of the year list. Because it's not really the type of genre that will make it there. Unless no. it's doing something in particular. And The Witness is. Uh, it's a game that's set on this island uh, which you can explore to, to your heart's content um, the, the sole aim of it is that there are hundreds of puzzles uh, which are, is a board and you need to get from one point to the other point of the board and it's a game that as I've been playing through it where each puzzle that you do teaches you a new rule about how to do other boards on the island Yeah, and you need to keep track of all of that from the moment that you start that game to the end. And on top of that, you need to be aware and hyper-aware of everything around that island 
because everything at some point could be a puzzle mm-hmm. or could be a false flag that is this is not misconstrued yeah, this is not the game you throw on uh, and put your headphones in and listen to a podcast no um, no. This is a game that requires 100 and sometimes 110% concentration. Yeah. Um, nothing is there by accident, by it, any stretch. All I'll say is this. Uh, it's very much a Jonathan Blow game. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of game where you actually, you need to think like the developer. Like, how would he make this? How would this maniac approach? Yeah. Do I need to be standing up at my keyboard? Because that's how he likes to make his games. Yeah. Uh, to try and play this. Um, it's the first game that I can think of where I've needed my iPad to take pictures and I've been drawing. <laughs> notebook. Like, I've seen other people that have been playing the game, like uh, Klepik, who's just, like, just bathed in notes, yeah. trying to figure out a, a puzzle that he just cannot wrap his head around. Uh-huh. Um, and one of the things that I really like about it, and again, it's something that you brought up when we started it, is that if you told me how to do a puzzle before I could had established how to do that puzzle. Yeah, or if you went to a strategy guide. It would only serve to make the rest of the game more difficult for me. Uh-huh. Um, or it would just make me that much more dependent on using uh, strategy guides or asking yeah. you for help. Yeah. You pretty much, if you ever, um, if you ever look for help, uh, either through strategy guides or asking a friend for help, that's you, you've given up. Yeah. Because there's almost no way to dig yourself out of the hole then. And it's incredible how engrossing and how immersive that game is for how little there actually is in terms of what you need to do. Mm. You know, it's essentially just you do this type of puzzle and you do a thousand different variants of that puzzle. But there's a weird sterile esque vibe to the island that makes you feel like there's something more going on than there actually is. Although there probably is something more going on. I haven't gone that far to find out and I probably never will because of how obtuse that fucking thing is. Yeah. But it's all things that I can appreciate. Even if I will never get to the end of that game, it's something that I do appreciate. And when I think about games at the end of this year and games that have stuck with me, and that's kind of like my thing about what I classify as my games of the year, or what is my game of the year, is like, what has stuck with me? Even if it's not necessarily the best game, or it only has like one thing about it that I truly like, if it sticks with me, there's a reason for it, and yeah. it does something that I really like. Uh, and Firewatch is one of those games where, um, as well as, an, no, no, I am talking about Firewatch, is also one of those games where it has something about it that sticks with me, even if it's not yeah. necessarily the best game, and The Witness is also one of those as well. Yeah that I put into that category. Um, and I think it's definitely something that I can see why people might not want to play it because of the price of it and trying to establish, you it's know... still like 40 quid, isn't it? Yeah. Fair enough. It's kind of steep. But... Well, if you're a puzzle person, a puzzle game person, you're getting more than 40 euro worth of... Absolutely. Like, especially in terms of time, unless you're really, really good at but it. But I can see on the other side why... Uh, people, some people might shy yeah, away. Why would from you that. spend forty quid to be really angry? Then that's an that's a <laughs> yeah. perfectly reasonable, uh, justifiable. Because you will be if this is response to this game. Um, but I do think it's one of the games that of the year that you need to at least sit down with for an evening to just see what's going on. Or watch us play on YouTube. Or that as well. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think that is. Uh, yeah, that will that's do that's us. about it. There are a few more games that are on that list that we'll uh, we'll be bringing up on the show, but that's uh, a lot of the heavy hitters that are coming into uh, our game of the year. Uh, just before we go, um, this will be our last show before Christmas. So I'm just gonna name out. We may add. Uh, I, I've thought about a couple of categories that we may add. We may not add. But as it stands, just to whet your appetite for what categories will be getting decided on our game of the year show, which will be the next time you probably hear from us. Um, these are the uh, the categories. We've got Game of the Year, which we've been discussing in our book clubs for the last few weeks and just there uh, moments ago. We've got Multiplayer Game of the Year. Then we've got Console Game of the Year. Best meh Game of the Year for our best kind of 7, and 6, 7, 7.5 out of 10 Game of the Year. The Handheld Mobile Game of the Year. Last year's Game of this year for the best game from 2015 that we're still playing this year. Best game music or soundtrack, best looking or prettiest game of the year, DLC slash expansion of the year, the not all video game people are assholes story of the year, the moment of the year, um, old game of the year, which as distinct from the last year's game of this year, old game of the year is the best re-release of an old game in 2016, uh, disappointment of the year, and finally, the one everyone's everyone's clamoring for, the Konami Corner Award for Ineptitude in Video Games will be making a strong return this year. It will be hard not to give that to Konami, but we will find a way around that. Well, to try I, and... They haven't been as spectacular this year yeah. as they were last um, year. To be fair, there has been... Uh... They were really campaigning during award season last year for that one. Actually, for, off the top of my head, I can think of two. There was the whole CSGO fiasco and there was Digital Homicide. Yeah, that's not. We have. Uh, there are there are five things written down on the short list here. Oh, sorry, no, seven things, <laughs> and that isn't one of them. So now there's eight. And Excellent. We'll be we'll be shortening things down to ideally we would have at maximum a, a short list of ten for every category, um, so that we can then argue down. We're hoping to have a panel of four or five people. So and we can... he is. He was not mixing these words up there there will be arguments oh yeah there will well be there blood. were some heated arguments last year sure um particularly when it came down to game of the year it was a real sophie's choice for me between witcher and metal gear solid um but that's going to do it for episode 49 of link to the cast uh episode 50 is going to have to wait until 2017 um but you will hear from us uh either around christmas or shortly into the new year um with our game of the year uh, extravaganza we haven't nailed down who's going to be on it or when we're going to do it yet so we can't give you a solid date for that yet but that will be the next time you hear from us um so everyone have a merry christmas happy new year if you don't hear from us before then uh hope santa gets you everything you wanted i'm, I'm uh, going to all bed. your games um I'm i hope i hope you all got new copies of no man's sky and street fighter 5 and <laughs> the order 1886 i hope i hope you got a philips cdi <laughs> Um, but yeah, so linktothecast.eu is the website. Uh, that's where all our content is centralized. That's our hub. Facebook.com forward slash linktothecast and at linktothecast on Tweet Machine are our social media where we're probably more active than we even are on the website. So we can keep up to date with the latest that's going on with us, uh, particularly on Twitter. So follow us on both of those. Uh, YouTube.com. Go on there. Search for Link to the Cast, all one word or separate. It should get you to our channel where you can see all the streams we're doing in the, uh, throughout the week. 
twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast is where most of our streams uh, are recorded live and then later exported to YouTube uh, to fit into our weekly schedule. So follow us on there. But if you don't follow us on Twitch, uh, just follow us on the tweet machine at link to the cast because we always post a notification when we're about to go live with one of those streams on there. We have a weekly content schedule that runs from Monday to Friday. At least one piece of content is coming out uh, of us every day all week. Uh, Mark, Mondays is Mark on Mondays. This now, week was a disaster. To, you for, you, I didn't forget it. Oh, yeah, I just didn't put it up. There was an, uh, there was an audio catastrophe going yeah, on. The, with this, this week's, week's was a disaster, so we, we won't talk about that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll go again. We'll come up to the bat again on Monday. I yeah. had an idea there for what we were going to play before we went on air. Um... So we'll for well for you to play sure uh, on on Monday. So we we might give you a go at that. All right. Um. So that's Mark on Mondays. It's Mark's solo stream generally. Sometimes you find me sitting in because I have nothing better to do. Uh, Tuesday will is when an old book club goes up, or sometimes uh, an article on the website. Uh, do we have one up? Uh, no. Also a disaster this week. Okay. Batten fells from let's, two. Yeah, let's go put one of those up then. Sure. Um, so there'll be one of those up by the time you hopefully listen to this. Uh, Wednesday is linked to the cast plays. Mark wasn't around when we were recording this week, but I called out of, uh, briefly out of retirement young Brian. Uh, Alvi's deathbed. Who was, yeah, who was uh, sick from work today and watched me play The Last Guardian, which would you believe uh, wasn't his kind of thing. <laughs> so that, that'll shock you. Um, Thursday is when the podcast comes out it is uh, the only thing that comes out that day it's a long enough podcast two hours sometimes two hours plus uh, so there's plenty for you to indulge in and then Fridays is Friday of Plays that's where I play something by myself sometimes Mark sits in sometimes uh, Brian sits in um, and uh, this week should be back to Life is Strange because I should have time to do the full hour mm-hmm. um, which I feel Life is Strange deserves the full hour rather than me cutting it short at 40 minutes like I do when I'm in a hurry um, so look out for that because that is has been an interesting ride so far um, yeah that's going to do it for uh, Link to the Cast episode 49 I've been Dave Ryan uh, at Dave Ryan IV on the tweet machine the man over there is Mark I've, Robinson I've been really really tired and he's at Lithium Project on the tweet machine I try to be so you can check us out uh, yeah um, Merry Christmas Happy New Year we'll uh, see you at Game of the Year bye bye bye